Blog Talk Radio. And good evening, everybody, and thank you for calling into and choosing King Jordan Radio for Tuesday, June, June 17th, 2014. And uh, this is King Jordan you're listening to. And tonight we are scheduled to have a former WWE legend, Brian Blair. Be Brian Blair, that is. But before we introduce our guest, don't forget, one week from tonight at 9.30 p.m. on the East, 6.30 on the West, 1.30 in the morning on the U.K., will be the Michael Jackson Tribute. With Tom Mesereau, Chris Tucker, uh, Dr. Uh, Nurse Lee, uh, Geraldine Hughes, a former bodyguard of Michael Jackson, Kerry Anderson, and much, much more. Join us next week uh, at 9.30, this Monday. Go to facebook.com forward slash King Jordan Radio for more details. And now let's bring in the guests. Here is our wrestling insider, ladies and gentlemen. He hails from Chicago. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the one, the only, Double J, JJ. Good evening, JJ, and welcome to King Jordan Radio. How are you, friend? Hey, King. Great to be on. What a month it's been for wrestling. We've still got another pay-per-view to go. A lot of fans are talking about, most recently, the about 11 to 12 releases of talent that the WWE did over the past week. Uh, referee Mark Harris, uh, as well as one of the WWE writers, uh, Jay Gibson. Finally, JTG, who's been with the company since 2006. Evan Bourne, who's been with the company since 2008. Yoshitatsu, who's been with the company since 2009. Camacho, who's actually a second-generation wrestler, the son of Haku slash Ming, who's been with the company since 2011, was released. Kurt Hawkins, Jinder Mahal, Drew McIntyre, Teddy Long, Brodus Clay, and even Oksana. Lots of releases, and it seems that even more releases will be coming, possibly even within NXT, as WWE is downsizing after the loss of that, uh, that stock exchange when Vince lost nearly a third of his fortune. Look at many more cuts coming soon. Wow, that's some uh, list there. I mean, you could start a whole promotion with those names. I wouldn't be surprised if TNA, uh, you know, uh, grabbed some of them, uh, some of the talent that you mentioned just there. And uh, speaking of TNA, um, Matt Hardy uh, returned to TNA. I don't know if you heard about that. Yeah, actually, I heard it from you. Uh, King Jordan Radio, you can check it out on his Facebook page. I first heard the news on your page, on King Jordan Radio's Facebook page. Uh, you made the announcement that uh, Matt Hardy came to terms with TNA, especially during that special impact taping in New York City. There's a huge buzz about that event, especially with TNA being in the Manhattan Center in New York. They're even mm-hmm. starting a sort of online campaign in which – Fans can vote whether or not TNA uses a four-sided ring 
or a six-sided ring for the New York uh, tapings of Impact. You can go to Impact Wrestling's Twitter page, and you can vote using the hashtag six sides or the hashtag four sides. And depending what your vote is, by the end of this week's Impact, you will know uh, what, the, what ring they use for the New York City tapings of Impact Wrestling, which is very exciting. A lot of fans who've wanted to see the six sides return. If you vote on Twitter for six sides, they will bring the six-sided ring back for those New York tapings, which is uh, very exciting. Again, if you're a traditionalist, if you just like the four-sided ring, you can vote four-sided rings, and, of course, they will keep the traditional four-sided ring. But big news, or TNA's trying to do something really big and really buzzworthy with these New York tapings, like I said, at the Manhattan Center, Matt Hardy coming back to TNA. It's uh, a lot of big things going on. Absolutely, and the uh, the uh, pay per view was Sunday. We'll get into that. Uh, let's see if we have uh, we have some callers uh, lined up, but let's see if it's, uh, Mr. Valente or Mr. Brown is one of them. Let's go to line three. Uh, Mr. Brown, are you on? Or Dominic, are you on? So say yes. So say no. Okay. All right. Let's take a listen to this great clip that I found. Stone Cold Steve Austin and Heyman talking about the greatness of ravishing Rick Rude. We'll debate on the other side. Hey, before we wrap this thing up, i got one bar strength of uh, battle left on my meter. We had some damn good times traveling down the road with ravishing Rick Rude. You know, one of the funnest things I, I loved about traveling with you guys uh, was just sitting around and talking about the business. And because, you, you know, when Rick Rude started talking, and as good of a mind as you have for the business, he was so clear in his vision and how he broke the business down. It was very ABC. Uh, and it was very simple for him. Yes. And yes. He loved booking, and he just loved talking about, you know, what we needed to do next, or he needed to do next, or what the crowd was doing. Or he loved the, he he loved playing chess or playing ch- uh, yes. checkers, whatever the game was. He simplified it. Yeah. You know, Rick, Rick, how do you see this? I see it very simple: black hat, white hat. What about it? Don't you see? Yeah. And that was it. He, yeah. he, he, Simplify the entire situation with that. There's a good guy. There's a bad guy. The bad guy has to has has to have enough heat that a credible good guy comes to kick his ass, and the people pay to see it. But, uh, but it was it was fun times. Oh, I had a blast. Man, we used to roll into uh, Kansas City. We always stayed at the Marriott there. We'd be playing pool. And I don't know what Rick was doing. I know he'd had a couple of beers. He wasn't so much of a heavy drinker, but there I was, and me and him always were partners. And uh, because we didn't need any animosity in the car, and there would be Rick standing there, and I'm I'm sitting here, and I've got this, you know, like both hands vertically hanging onto the pool cue, and he'd be standing there, and that that pool cue would be like the third pod, and so he would just be standing there, sleep, standing <laughs> up, and it would be his shot. And I missed the shot, and the other person missed the shot, and we was all fucked up, and we was all drunk. Decided to have to go wake up Rick. Well, he was standing there holding his pool cue. And like, Rick, it's your shot. Hey, oh, what? What are you going to do? A shot. One time, I think it was in Philly, it was a late night. I didn't have any money. just came to WWF. I'm, I'm hanging out with Rick Rude. And uh, was it WCW or, Rick, or WWF? It had to be WWF. That had to be WCW because that was the only time we were together. Probably. Yeah. Okay, so we're WCW. Uh, late night, about 2 or 3 in the morning, me and Rick decided to split a room. All times we traveled together, you know, I always stayed by myself. Or right, you, you would stay at the Motel we, We'd stay at the Marriott, and yeah. you would always be at the Motel 6. You'd go, Steve, you have to upgrade a little. And you'd be like, I'm just a simple man, Rick. I like a Sonic hamburger. I like me a beer, and I like me a Motel 6. They'll leave the light on for you. 
<laughs> that one time I spent the night with Rick Rude, and, and God dang, I don't know, we were pretty hammered. And Rick was over there snoring like a freight train. I mean, I cannot tell you how loud he was snoring. And I was over madder than a hornet because I, can't, I don't sleep very well anyway. And he'd be over snoring. And I'd go, Rick, Rick. And he'd roll over. Five minutes later, he'd start over. Rick, Rick. You know, five minutes. You know, I'm getting madder and madder and madder. But what are you going to do? Wake up Rick Rude? I mean, he was a badass dude anyway. And he's a senior guy. He's a veteran in the business. And just start going... Dude, shut up. I cannot sleep. I'm the rookie in the room. <laughs> I'm trying to show him respect. So anyway, point is, I didn't sleep an ounce that night. And from that night on, I never roomed with another human being because I didn't want to listen to a summit snore. But he could scale a catfish with the best of them, couldn't he? Oh, dude, don't give me on that catfish story. Go ahead and tell it. Oh, I told the story the other day. He was down there at the hunting camp in Georgia. <laughs> he caught about 20 catfish. I caught about two. I'm out there in a trash can with a pair of pliers, skinning catfish. Someone had brought a damn easy chair and a big screen, I mean, a, a color TV and one of those top-load VHS players. He's in there smoking a big, fat joint. Rick loved to smoke dope. I wish that guy was still around. He's so funny. And then all of a sudden he walks out. Someone brought Cape Fear. He's in there watching Robert De Niro and Cape Fear. And he comes out. He goes, the screen door slams. What are you doing? I said, well, shit, Rick, I'm cleaning all these catfish. I said, do you want to help me clean them? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and walks back in and sits on the easy chair and starts watching Cape Fear again. Man of very few words. He, oh, he simplified the situation and he articulated his answer perfectly. Okay, uh, JJ, give me your thoughts of a uh, good old story from, wow, uh, Rick Rude is gone since 99. That's over uh, 16 years now. Oh, my. Yeah, I mean, wow, those those are uh, funny stories with uh, Austin and Paul Heyman talking about Rick Rude. Rick Rude, a lot of WWE fans will remember, of course, as a very great Intercontinental Champion. He had some great matches with Ricky Steamboat, The Ultimate Warrior, Rowdy Piper, Jake Roberts. I mean, uh, he was definitely someone who was ahead of his time. And, you know, you can see a lot of superstars today that were inspired by him, guys like Dolph Ziggler, uh, John Morrison, who... You know, they tried to copy that, you know, when he used to kind of shake his hips and show off his abs. I mean, he had people going crazy. You know, the women loved him, and the guys wanted to be him. He was just, you know, a man's man. And he was one of the few people during the Monday Night Wars where he was on Raw and Nitro on the same night. I mean, that was a historic moment. But uh, even, you know, before that, he was always surrounded himself, you know, with uh, with great people. I mean, he worked with Bobby the Brain Heenan, a part of Heenan's family. He even worked with Paul Heyman, uh, a part of the Dangerous Alliance and WCW. So, I mean, Rick Rude, definitely uh, one of the all-time greats. Uh, no question about it, and uh, hopefully he'll get a, his place in the uh, Hall of Fame. Uh, hopefully soon. That would be great. Yeah. And, uh, Let's talk a little bit about the uh, pay-per-view Sunday. Uh, what were some of the highlights that you that you thought were uh, instrumental in that pay-per-view, being good or bad? Well, you know, Slammiversary, and uh, this is their 12th anniversary, 12 years of TNA, total nonstop action wrestling. Uh, it's definitely something a lot of people, even 12 years ago, didn't think would happen. You know, a year ago, people didn't think 
they'd be around 12 years. And yet, you know, they proved them all wrong. They stayed in business. You know, you can say what you will about TNA and their weekly impact shows on Spike, but when it comes to their pay-per-views, especially now that they've reduced it to just four a year, you know, their pay-per-views, they really come through. You can see how hard these guys work. And uh, they showed a nice video to kick off the, the pay-per-view. They showed AJ Styles. They showed Ken Shamrock. They showed Rhino, Christian Cage, Sting, Mick Foley, RVD, Angle, Anderson, Jeff Hardy, Aries, you know, Bully Ray, Magnus, Saban, Eric Young, all the guys who've been really instrumental and have been world champions in TNA, uh, whether it was a part of the NWA you know, Rhino was an NWA TNA champion. Uh, it's just really cool to see that video package and to see, you know, so many stars who have come and gone from TNA. And uh, it was just a really cool moment. They kicked off the pay-per-view with their signature X Division. They had a really awesome uh, sort of six-way battle for the X Division championship. Sonata defended his title against Manic, uh, Crazy Steve, and... Uh, Tigre Uno, as well as Eddie Edwards and Davey Richards, who are a tag team. They're a part of the Wolves, but they were both individuals. They were wrestling for the X Division title. They put their partnership aside, and they put together a hell of a match. I mean, these guys did some of the craziest things that, you know, you've seen inside a ring. I, I remember at one point Tigre Uno did some sort of, sort of a twisting corkscrew uh, off the ropes. It was just beautiful. There's even one point where I think Eddie Edwards did a German suplex to Tigre Uno onto a ladder. This was, um, I believe this, I believe it was, it was a, a ladder match, a ladder match or a, a TLC match for the X Division title, and it was just awesome. Like I said, uh, so many amazing things happening inside that ring. Guys were just flying everywhere. Sonata did a moonsault onto the, the ladder. It was just brutal. You know, I saw guys doing just amazing moves, and it was just uh, a really highlight of the night for me as a fan of the X Division. Like I said, everybody really came through. It was nice to see, you know, Crazy Steve. He has that kind of silly uh, gimmick. I know Dominic's not a fan of it, though, with that menagerie, and they're sort of like this circus clown. It's very bizarre and weird, but for once, you know, they, they put the gimmick aside, and you, what you see is what's in the ring. You saw him wrestle and take risks and do some, uh, some pretty cool things, uh, especially Manic, who we haven't seen inside a TNA ring for a while. To see Manic back in the ring was very cool. A uh, great match. Sonata Just let me, uh, not before one second, let me see. Uh, I think we might have Mr. Dominic Valente or Mr. Blackjack Brown. Uh, who do we got? Dominic Blackjack? Brother King JJ, how you guys doing this evening? Brother Blackjack. Well, okay. You may proceed, JJ. We're talking yeah, about and, uh, ENA. And then, and yeah, the, the first match and Slammiversary, Sonata retaining the X Division title. Awesome match. Uh, as Dominic and Blackjack pointed out last week, MVP suffered a knee injury, and he could not wrestle in the main event. And then what they decided to do was the matchups that they had between Bobby Lashley versus Samoa Joe, as well as Kenny King and Austin Aries, the winner of those respective matches, would then proceed into the main event and challenge Eric Young 
for the TNA World Championships. I thought that was very interesting. Of course, MVP giving his two boys, Lashley and Kenny King, an opportunity at the world title since he, was, he couldn't compete. But to be fair, he did give Joe and Aries the opportunity. If they won, they would be in the main event. So kind of like WrestleMania, we have a triple threat match for the title. So that was very exciting and something no one really expected. So next up, we have Bobby Lashley versus Samoa Joe. And a lot of people have been excited to see Joe back in a TNA ring and taking on Lashley. Last week, I predicted that Lashley would win only because Bobby Lashley has that MMA background. He's, you know, legit. He's won, you know, legit fights. You know, he's been training. He's, you know, when you have somebody who has that credential, you definitely don't uh, roll over them. And that didn't happen. Although I did have a very physical match. And uh, it was a, a really, you know, pretty solid outing between uh, Joe and Lashley. You can definitely see Bobby Lashley's sort of MMA style. I saw lots of kicks, lots of punches. He was more aggressive than I ever saw him inside a WWE ring. So I think Lashley looked really good in this match. And he beat Samoa Joe, earning his spot into the triple threat match with Eric Young. Yeah, that surprised me, man. They just brought Samoa Joe back and had him lose like that. I was shocked. I thought, it, you know, Lashley would win last week only because, like I said, he brings that MMA background, much like Brock Lesnar has that MMA background, former UFC world champion. You just can't roll over on a guy who's got those legit credentials. A guy like Kurt Angle, Olympic gold medalist, when he came into TNA, he did the same exact thing. In fact, he rolled over and he beat uh, Samoa Joe. And the same thing happened now with Bobby Lashley. So it was something I had a feeling would happen. And did Devon come back? Devon? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, Tell us about that. Anniversary is, you know, every year for the last two years, they announce who will be inducted into the TNA Hall of Fame. Two years ago, Sting was the first member of the TNA Hall of Fame. Last year, it was Kurt Angle. And this year, Kurt Angle came to Slammiversary, and he announced the third member, or I should say members, into the TNA Hall of Fame, and sure enough, Kurt Angle introduced Team 3D. Brother Ray and Brother Devon, Bully Ray and Devon were both there. I heard that uh, a lot of that was kept a surprise. A lot of people in the locker room didn't even know that that was going down. So it was a huge surprise to see Devon back in the TNA ring. I don't know if he's back full-time, part-time, but we may see him step foot in the ring just before Bound for Glory, before they're inducted into the Hall of Fame. But very cool to see Devon, Bully Ray together again. And they were very gracious and thankful to the fans. They gave props to the fans that Team D was so successful because of the fan support in ECW, in WWE, and coming into TNA. And they wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame if it wasn't for the fan support. So that was really cool. So I was really happy to see Devon back, man. It was a, a really great moment. Okay, now let me please introduce to you a first. He is one half of what many consider the greatest tag team in WWE history, along with the Road Warriors. He is a WWE legend. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. B. Brian Blair. 
Good evening, Pete Ryan. How are you? And welcome to the I'm so glad to be on your show, King Jordan. What is happening? Absolutely. Uh, you're on the phone with uh, Double J and uh, Blackjack Brown. Blackjack? Not the Blackjack that I know that has those gloves on. Looked like he was going to steal something all the time, just sneaking around ringside in the uh, garden, Madison Square Garden. Wow. Is that you, you got it, my brother. How are you? Doing good. good. Feeling so fine. Feeling so elated. Yes. That's good, man. It's good to be elated. Yeah, it's good to feel good. All right, Brian. Before we get anywhere, let's talk about the uh, cauliflower alley club that's going on in uh, your neck of the woods. Uh, why don't you fill the fans in on uh, all that information that you want to get out there? Okay. Well, the um, uh, I'm very grateful and humbled that I have recently been um, nominated to be the president-elect for the cauliflower alley club which, if you don't realize, is the number one 501c3 charitable organization and the only one for wrestlers uh, that have fallen on hard times. And, and to date, they've given away over $100,000. They have no overhead. In other words, I'm not going to make a penny. Nobody else makes a penny. We just do it all to help our brothers in need and sisters in need. And... The Cauliflower Alley Club was established, it will be 50 years ago. Guys like Bronco Nagurski, Lou Fez, um, uh, Red Bastine, um, just uh, right now the outgoing president, Nick Bockwinkle, uh, you know, just people that were real, real legends and icons of this business. And it's such an honor to be able to lead the executive board and the general board into, um, I mean, there's over 8,000 members worldwide. There's over 1,200 active members. We just rocked the house at um, in Las Vegas at the Gold Coast ca- Casino. There was about 700, well, about, no, we, we had about 600 fans and about oh, 250 wrestlers. Um, it was a light, one of our lighter conventions because we changed the date, but we're going back to April 12th, 13th, and 14th for the 50th reunion. Anybody can join. Um, it's 25 bucks. I mean, you can join as a life member for 300 bucks, but it goes to such great causes. I'm telling you guys, this is the real deal. And if you're gonna, isn't it great knowing that you give a dollar? and know that somebody else is not going to take it, that it's really going to the cause, to the person that needs the money. Absolutely. That's a great Absolutely. And uh, let's go over to Jay to uh, lead off uh, the questions uh, for you, Mr. Blair. Go ahead, JJ. I should say it is a great honor. I remember watching the Killer Bees uh, as a kid, and it was just a really cool, a really fun tag team. I must have uh, seen you, you know, wrestle the Hart Foundation a, a dozens, if not hundreds, of times. And uh, that uh, that uh, that uh, you know project you were talking about is really instrumental, and it's really cool and really important, you know, uh, for fans to be able to help and give back on guys going through very difficult times. So that's a, a really great uh, program you have. I guess my first question would be, uh, when you first uh, started wrestling, what made you want to get into wrestling in the first place? Well, JJ, I came from very humble beginnings. I mean, um, I was on my own before 
my 17th birthday, my parents were divorced um, when I was 12 years old and had five siblings. And we, you know, I got busted taking food stamps to the to the USAVE grocery store in Tampa, Florida. And uh, I just uh, didn't want to be poor. And everybody told me, well, if you do good in school and uh, you study hard, you work hard, uh, you're a good athlete, work hard in your sports. And so I had some good advice and I did all that stuff. And Lo and behold, you know, it's been good to me. God's been good to me. You know, I don't know what I'd do without God in my life. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of challenges, a lot of setbacks, a lot of things there where people would have quit. And, um, you know, my my friends, and that's why I like the Cauliflower Alley Club so much. It's not just wrestlers. It's good fans, and they give you good ideas and talk. And, I mean, you've got three, four days, depending on how long you want to be there, and it's so cheap for 36 bucks a room uh, each night in Las Vegas for $100 for food for the whole thing. I mean, it's, it's crazy cheap, and, and, and it's kind of the Cauliflower Alley Club reminds me about when I was, you know, so down in, uh, in my stage of the business, so I hadn't qualified to quite be a wrestler yet at that time, so I didn't get any help, and uh, just uh, help from my friends and um you know, uh, guidance from above and and listening to the wisdom. You know, wisdom is great. Yeah. If you want wisdom, read you read proverbs. I don't care what religion you are. If you want wisdom, if you read all the proverbs, you're going to be the smart and apply them. You're going to be the smartest guy that you know. <laughs> okay, blackjack, uh, go for it. Well, brother B, uh, we come back. We come from that classic era. Uh, what do you think of, of this uh, YouTube and just about any match that you, you've ever done can be found on these YouTubes and they be tweeting and they be twatting? That's definitely between <laughs> our era, man. Uh, uh, what do you think of that stuff? I, I personally, I don't really, some things I, I care for, things that you, you can look up, you know. I mean, just stuff that uh, that's never buried, you know, with these uh, computer age now. What's your take on that? Well, you know, Blackjack, that's a great question, and I, I'm doing it myself, but you're talking to a person who uh, I, I graduated from high school when I was 17. I, you know, I quit my junior year of, high school, uh, of college, started wrestling in 78. Um, so I got to see the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, uh, the 21st century. I'm still wrestling in in to the tens and now into the uh, teens, and uh, I, I don't know. I just uh, I feel so good about that part of the business, being able to still do it, and then go, you know, help other people. And, and believe me, I'm going to get to a conclusion right here that you'll see where I tied this in. You know, helping them with matches, old school versus new school. Well, that's the way social media is. You know, in, in, in social media, Blackjack, you're right, man. We didn't have nothing but a telephone or, you know, a telewrestler. It was like a telewrestler was like a telegraph. And, uh, you are correct. Like, you used to do my gab line all the time. Yeah, but now it travel, travels at the speed of light. you got Twitter and uh, Twitter. You just called it Twitter. You called it something else. Anyway, you got Twitter and LinkedIn and uh, and Facebook and and. Honestly, I was just in, I was so excited being in Las Vegas for or the first, second, third, and fourth of um, of June, and then I had to fly to Niagara Falls uh, for the Comic-Con, the fifth, sixth, seventh, 
uh, 8th and 9th of June, uh, which there were about 30,000 people there. You know, and Jumpin' Jim was there, and we signed autographs. It was fabulous. And I've got so many other bookings coming up, coming up but um, I couldn't do it without the social media. That's the, that's the thing now. So I've got to take that old-school uh, thought, which I enjoy keeping, and I want to keep a uh, tradition, but I've got to gear it up into new school and understand that I've, I've got to, if I can't communicate with teenagers and people in their 20s on up, then I, I shouldn't be the president-elect for the Cauliflower Alley Club, and I shouldn't be um, doing the things I'm doing in the wrestling industry right now. So I have to do it. I find it difficult at times, but I'm constantly studying, and I've accepted it, Blackjack. Mm-hmm. Ah. What's your take on, on the network? I think the network is awesome, and I would actually, um, well, I'm not going to say give anybody financial advice, but I think it's a, myself, I'm getting ready to throw a few dollars into WWE because they took a big hit, and um, I think that um, that the 24-hour network is going to be bigger than anything anybody has ever seen before. Wow. Okay, uh, Brian, I wanted to ask you, uh, we lost one of the big ones in the uh, business, uh, Ultimate Warrior. A, did you know him? And B, if you did know him, uh, what kind of guy was he with you? Your thoughts? Of course I knew him. Uh, yes, I knew Ultimate Warrior and um, James Elwood. Helwig was a uh, he was a, a nice person. He was standoffish. He was kind of reclusive. There was always rumors floating around, but um, I don't say bad things about anybody. And to me, he was a good guy. I mean, I, I liked Jim. He was he was full of energy. I mean, nobody could ever work like him and get over like he did. I mean, his big deal was the high energy, the ropes. The little warriors, you know, which came off the Hulkamaniacs, and you know, just uh, but he had that different look um, with the war paint and stuff. And he came from Dallas, where in Texas he was um, uh, what was he there? The old, the Dingo Warrior, and yes. the so had WWC with Sting. He came up with right, right. Well, with uh, yeah, with. Um, uh, the Von Erichs, originally. Yes, absolutely. In Georgia, right? No, in in, in uh, Texas. In Texas, oh, right, right. Yeah, that's so, okay. And, that's okay. Uh, he was there. Well, you got. I guess he was just starting out, pretty much, when you were there, right? Um, both. He started out. He worked for a while. He quit. And then later, when um, yeah. when I left at WrestleMania Five, um, I decided I didn't, uh, the writing was on the wall. You know, George Scott, God bless his soul, was the booker, and of course the book stops with Vince. He's the owner. But anyway, they told us uh, a few times that we were going to get the belts, and it kept being that time, being that time, in my opinion or else turn us heel and give us the belts after we beat, beat uh, everybody in the Survivor Series, let us turn on the Stallions. I mean, there were so many different ways we could have gone. But in the end, um, 
there's some inside stuff that I'm not going to say right now because it's just going to cause friction. But overall, your opinion I, on uh, Elwig was uh, positive, right? Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, I've got nothing bad to say about you. And, uh, actually, <laughs> yesterday was the Yesterday he would have turned 55 years old. So young. What a shame. Okay, yeah, uh, JJ, I mean, you the next question. Yeah, as uh, we were just talking about the WWE Network before I came on the King Jordan Radio, I just did a quick search, and you can see some of the uh, Killer Bees matches on the WWE Network, uh, especially WrestleMania matches you had with uh, the Funks, uh, matches you had with the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. Uh, just as we started the show, we were actually played a clip of Steve Austin talking about Rick Rude. And I know uh, you worked, I believe, uh, with Rick Rude as well. Uh, do you have any stories of Rick Rude? <laughs> oh, yeah. I won the Florida title from Rick Rude. And um, um, I'm trying to think. I think he won the Southern Heavyweight title for me. I loved Rick. He was the, one of the best workers. I'm telling you, I miss Rick. What a, you know, he had a great family. Uh, you know, anybody out there that's doing drugs, man, don't do drugs. Gosh darn it. Drugs have killed and messed up more people that I know um, than I could even. I, I just, we wouldn't have time on your radio show. And um, Rick, unfortunately, uh, he, uh, he had a bad night with the drugs and an alcohol combination, and it didn't work, and I guess God wanted him, and he's gone, and he was talented, and God knows that him and I had so many good matches together. We had so much fun together. I wish you guys could find some of the matches that Rick Root and I had together. Uh, you know, the bad thing is, there is a lot of matches out there, but when you're working 300 days a year, Tell that dog I'm going to sting his ass. I'm just kidding. I love dogs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, I took my dog, my yes. my, uh, <laughs> my golden retriever. Him and I went swimming today. Uh, we go every day. He gets mad at me if I don't. So with it. But anyway, Rick Rude was uh, uh, talented, and we worked 300 days a year, and you know I might have had 50 or 60 matches in a row or during, uh, out of 75 matches with Rick Rude, and four of them are preserved for television when some of the best ones get left behind. Uh, great guy. Great, great athlete. He could get heat as quick as anybody. And my favorite is favorite heel without a doubt is Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. In his prime, oh, he yeah. Absolutely. All right, Black Chick. Recently on, on Legends House on WWE, they had uh, a wrestler, Pat Patterson, finally come out of the closet. I That's mean, so funny. Everybody knows that Pat Patterson, they pulled a rib on me when I was starting in the business, and we all knew Pat Patterson was gay. That exactly. Was so what he what was he coming out to, you know, when they exactly. did that program? His, his boyfriend mooned me out of the moonroof of his Lincoln Town car. Um, 
going to Yeehaw Junction in 1977. Wow. That's how long? That was his boyfriend that he had been with for like 23 years, Louis Dondero. Well, Pretty yes, bad. and uh, just to copy it, the, he did what come out. What about the rumors uh, that, uh, they, uh, that they said that uh, if you sleep with Patterson, you can go towards the title? Uh, is that uh, any uh, truth to that? Uh, I don't know about that. You know, I mean, I've never slept with him, thank God, and I never would. But, uh, uh, no, I mean, I'm just going to leave it there. I could probably bury a couple people, but I'm not going to. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, Pat was definitely, uh, he's always had a lot of, creative influence over the WWF, WWE product. Yeah, there's no question. He created the Royal Rumble. He was the first intercontinental champion. And uh, uh, he was uh, instrumental in a, a lot of the uh, WWE success. Vince McMahon would have kept him there so long. But uh, as Blackjack said, there were the allegations and that's what they just were, allegations. I did have Jim Powers on here, and he did say if I would have slept with somebody, he would have been pushed higher. He didn't say Pat Patterson, however, but that's what he said. Okay, but the next question I want to uh, ask you, uh, Mr. Blair, is uh, the tag team situation. When you were wrestling, you had Demolition, you had the Bushwhackers, you had the Legion of Doom, you had Earthquake and Typhoon, Killer Bees, of course. Oh, my God. I could go on and on. Akeem and uh, uh, the, the the Natural Disasters, you know, all those great tag teams. It, it was just so, so important uh, in uh, WWE success was the tag teams. Uh, how do you feel about uh, the lack of tag teams right now? I think uh, if they went back to somewhat of that format, maybe not exactly, but to create some more established teams that would help them tremendously if they had six highly established teams. Vince's thought on that is that if you get one guy that shines a lot more than another, he's going to be branded with the other guy. So if you notice, the tag teams wear different clothes and stuff now and different outfits. And it's, it's, um, he doesn't, he doesn't want to get stuck with a, somebody that might turn out to be a John Cena or a Steve Austin, um, you know, being in a tag team, being having that tag team stigma. Although, to me, it, it kind of contradicts the point when you look at Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. Yeah. Shawn yeah. Michaels. I mean, they didn't always wear the exact things, but they had the frills. You know, they, you know, they had, the Rockers had pretty much so they dressed yes, like indeed. Them. And uh, was there any thoughts of uh, maybe uh, splitting uh, the two of you up? Uh, I believe you were the younger one, judging by the picture. But uh, was there any thoughts of uh, breaking the two of you up? <laughs> yeah, I'm almost a decade younger, and yeah, I heard that. And <laughs> my, make sure you get that in this. <laughs> yeah, my my <laughs> best career was my single career, my most popular career. Uh, was obviously with the television sets and the viewers was with uh, the Killer Bees as the Killer Bee, and I love Jim, uh, and I've 
made a lot of money with Jim. We just made money in Canada um, at the Comic Con. But um, and then we got uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, coming up on September 13th. But um, you know, I uh, um, yeah, you know, <laughs> I just—it's hard to say the truth, you know, and knowing that. You know, I just don't want to uh, say the wrong thing and hurt anybody's feelings. But next question. Okay, that is a good uh, diplomat, if you will. Uh, JJ, go ahead. Yeah, but just before you mentioned some great matches you had with uh, Paul Orndorff. Um, you, I think you had some great matches together back when Vince Senior was in charge of uh, the WWE then. So, uh, do you have any uh, comparisons between Vince Senior and uh, Vince Junior? Um. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you a little story. Vince Vince Senior was so committed to all the guys and the territories, and he had worked with him so long. He knew that with uh, uh, with the cable television that he could easily. Uh, take over the territory. He taught that to Vince Jr. Um, Vince Jr. is um, like a wolf on Wall Street when it comes to money, and that's why he is where he is. You can't deny that. I mean, he's he's a business wizard, and uh, his dad was a business wizard as well. It's just you know, he had enough. He was satisfied, and he didn't want to step on his friend's toes. Whereas Vince Jr. didn't really care. You know, he was. He was going to build the greatest product, and he did. And you know, how, how can you, how can you really not deny? I can't. Yeah. No. Me? No, absolutely. Did what? And uh, okay, brother B, what are your thoughts about the Iron Sheik? He's always got something to say about you. Be a good or bad. Oh boy. I tell you what, why don't you give me about? Uh, if you give me ten minutes, are you guys? How long are you guys going to be on the show? Sometimes well, I will be here for a Or do you want me to just answer a couple quick questions because i gotta, I got to either scoot out for 10 minutes or whatever. Okay, if you want to call Thank back in 10 minutes, that's cool. You call back you in 10 call, minutes? Call back in 10 minutes with a sheet question. <laughs> it, it, in the meantime, it's up to you. you it, to your I listener. appreciate that. Give me somebody to talk okay. to. You got so, same number. So, uh, ten minutes. Uh, right. All right. I'm going to look at my phone right now. Ten minutes. You got it. Bye. Awesome. Thank you, Mr. Blair. We'll see, speak to you in ten minutes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's some, uh, something to do, and uh, we will get back to Brian Blair. But uh, in the meantime, uh, Blackjack, we were playing some good clips. Uh, let me play another one. I think JJ's going to like this. Jim Ross talking about Dolph Ziggler not getting pushed right. Let's take a listen and talk about it on the other side. Uh, I got, okay, this is my crazy booking idea of the week that will never happen, but nonetheless, here's what I got this week. Uh, Dolph Ziggler becomes a new TV champion via a multiple-week tournament on Raw that sees, uh, of course, the Ziggler wins the tournament, and, and God Almighty, no count-out disqualification lane. Can we just not have people that win or lose? Uh, we, you know, we know that it's showbiz, so why can't we have people that win or lose? 
uh, back in the day when people were uncertain of, of outcomes, that was more viable. Not viable anymore, folks. That's really overthinking it. So you have a big tournament over several weeks on Raw. It's episodic in nature. Uh, and then the champion, Dolph Ziggler, my suggestion, would defend the title pretty much every Monday in a 15-minute time limit match. I got that timeline in there again, right? I'm obsessed, seemingly. So somebody can tweet me about that, too. So I'm old school, crazy, wool tights, black boots. But you can really create, if you have this situation, you can create some really good storylines, expose various talents, give them some more TV exposure, uh, and break Ziggler out of the pack. And it's kind of like the days when the Intercontinental Champion was arguably the best in-ring performer in the company. Uh, now you can put that responsibility on arguably the best, most underutilized, best athletic talent on the roster in Dolph Ziggler. Uh, so I know that I'm not a big hand on the, uh, the ad titles, uh, but, you know, unless he becomes the, and I don't have an issue with the champions, the U.S. and Intercontinental Champions as, that are there now, they just need to be, the titles need to mean more. So maybe I'm being hypocritical, but I think it's an interesting idea It'd be great for television, a television title for TV. God, imagine that. So uh, anyway, I can tell you why it won't be done. Number one, for some reason, Dolph Ziggler's not uh, relevant in the eyes of the decision makers. I don't know why. I don't have any idea. You can keep asking. I still don't know why. Uh, they're not going to use a, a regular time limit bout on television because it's too old school and too wrestling, uh, even though it adds drama, makes sense. It's part of our, our nomenclature. So uh, that's why it won't be done. But still, it's an interesting idea. And I remember when Arn Anderson was a TV champion in WCW, he had some hellacious matches, made everybody he got in the ring with better. And isn't that the goal, to have a match and everybody leave better than they entered? So I think so. Uh, you make some good points, J.J. What's your thoughts? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm definitely a, a fan of Dolph Ziggler. I've seen him wrestle many times in Chicago. The Chicago crowd loves this guy. I mean, you can just yeah, tune yeah. into Monday Night Raw. You can tune into a pay-per-view, and if he's not on the card, you'll hear the fans chant, we want Ziggler in other people's matches. So it, he's developing a following. People are getting behind him. They recognize that he's not getting maybe the opportunities that he should, that he deserves or uh, what have you, and I love the idea of their having a champion defend the title every week. I mean, you look at the WWE, obviously now they have one world champion, but they still have the United States champion, and then they have the Intercontinental champion, and yet, despite the fact we have two single titles, three if you count the world title, they don't defend one guaranteed every week. One of those titles should always be defended, and yet they're not. For whatever reason, I don't know, and I can't figure it out. I don't know why they have all these titles if they're not using them and defending them and making these guys wrestle. At the end of the day, it is sports entertainment, but it's also a wrestling show. You're not, you know, watching a sitcom. You're not watching a soap opera. You're not watching, you know, a, a you know, Law and Order or a drama. You're watching a wrestling show, and yet they're not wrestling. I love the idea of a 15-minute match where the guys can actually go out there and wrestle. One of the reasons why I'm such a fan of NXT is it's just one hour, and yet maybe in that one hour, they don't have a lot of time for talking, so you see more wrestling. 
uh, you know, Mick Foley even posted about uh, Natty Neidhart and Charlotte, Ric Flair's daughter, had a tremendous match on NXT, one of the best women matches you've seen probably in several years. Uh, Tyson Kidd and Adrian Neville had a phenomenal two back-to-back matches, one at the uh, NXT TakeOver show and then one just last week on NXT. Tyson Kidd, Adrian Neville, tremendous 15-minute solid wrestling, amazing match, and yet they don't do this on the main show on Monday Night Raw, and it just baffles my mind, especially, like I said, with a guy like Ziggler who has this following, people who want to see him. I mean, we're not quite at the level of the Yes Movement with Daniel Bryan, but you can tell there's a following there. They're getting behind the guy. They want to see this guy get opportunity. They want to see him wrestle. And some fans will even compare Ziggler maybe as a modern-day Shawn Michaels. I mean, he really sells it when he's in that ring. When he's working with someone, he really does everything he can to put them over. And he just takes tremendous bumps. I've heard people say and to tell him to tone his style down and yet he still goes out there and damn near kills himself to put on the best match possible you know why you wouldn't want to reward a guy like that is like i said beyond me there's speculation and of course rumors on dirt sheets that oh well you know ziggler's too injury prone he had you know two concussions last year and they're too afraid to push him because you know what if something happens to him you look at daniel bryan now and now they're in a situation where they need to crown a new champion and they're afraid what if that happens with dolph ziggler well you know that could happen with anybody on any given monday night on any given pay-per-view how many times have you heard the phrase this isn't ballet injuries unfortunately are part of the business anything can happen you hope nothing does happen You don't ever want to see someone take a serious injury or even a minor injury. You don't want to see anyone get hurt, but it happens. You can't always predict when it will or won't happen. Sometimes you have to take a chance, and that's the the problem with wrestling today is they don't take enough chances. During the Monday Night War, when Vince McMahon was pushed against the wall and Eric Bischoff and Monday Nitro were kicking their butt in the ratings, Vince took chances. He took chances on Stone Cold Steve Austin. He took chances on Mick Foley and put the world title on him. He took chances on Triple H, The Rock, and those guys delivered. Take a chance on Dolph Ziggler, and maybe, just maybe, he'll surprise you. Uh, No question about it. I agree with you 110%. And if you hear Jim Ross, he said, uh, maybe the people back there don't like him. And uh, it sounded like... uh, He's not well-liked with the politics, uh, the nonsense that goes on there, right? Yeah, that's that's unfortunate. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of guys in the WWE, they walk on eggshells. You hear it all the time. They don't want to cross the bus. They don't want to do anything where they could potentially lose their position or not get pushed in the future. So a lot of guys keep things to themselves. I don't. I mean, I've never personally heard Ziggler go off the cuff or say anything necessarily bad, at least in my eyes. But yet, he does seem to have this reputation, and as long as he has that reputation, the powers that be will continue to put him in the doghouse. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Blackjack, what's your thoughts on Dolph Ziggler? I got the same opinion as uh, JJ on that. I agree exactly. And uh, also, we uh, talking about the uh, 
the in the beginning, I forgot to mention the New York show, JJ. Can you uh, rehash what you were telling the, the audience to Blackjack about the New York shows? Yes, I mean, it's just big news uh, regarding TNA and, of course, them coming to New York. They're going back to the Manhattan Center. Of course, a lot of wrestling fans associate the Manhattan Center with uh, WWE in the early days of Monday Night Raw, in which I can tell you from experience, I mean, I remember seeing Blackjack in the audience watching Monday Night Raw, and, uh, you know, that was, those some great memories Every of that. single so, week. One of the greatest right. times of my life, definitely, yes. So TNA coming to the Manhattan Center recording Impact is a very big deal. Of course, I heard the news, too, on uh, King Jordan's Facebook page that Matt Hardy has come to terms with TNA and will be at those New York shows. And I just learned today, before we came on the show, that uh, Impact Wrestling is holding this, uh, they're hosting this voting contest. If you are on social media, on their social media site, Twitter, if you go on Twitter and if you vote by using the hashtag six sides or four sides, Depending on the voting, at, by the end of this week's Impact show, they will tally the votes, and if people choose six sides enough times, TNA will bring back the six-sided ring to those New York shows. You will see a six-sided ring in the New York show for the first time in years, although that is only if people go on Twitter and vote for the six-sided rings again you can do so by going on twitter and use and you tweet using the hashtag the number six and of course sides so hashtag six sides for tna to bring back the six-sided ring or if you're comfortable with the four sides you don't want to see them change use the hashtag four sides but to a lot of long time uh, tna fans who really miss the six sides it's an opportunity to spice things up and to make those New York shows really special and to get a lot of people to tune in and watch those uh, Impact shows. So very big uh, gamble that TNA is uh, taking right now. So I'm very excited. I mean, I was already excited for uh, TNA going to the Manhattan Center in New York, but now I'm even more excited that we could perhaps see the six-sided ring. Absolutely no question about it. Okay, I've been plugging it from the beginning. This Monday at 9.30 Eastern Standard Time, the Michael Jackson tribute. Here's a little bit of what you you will hear on Monday. Take a listen. Hey, listen, Michael Jackson's album Escape came out this I year. know. I've been listening to it this morning. I'm so excited about a new Michael Jackson album. And I heard that I heard he was like a big inspiration for you. Is that true? Yeah, it is true. I mean, like... Uh, I was raised on Michael. I had like, I had like one CD in my car growing up. That was, my mom would drive me everywhere. So in in her car we had one CD. That was Michael Jackson's greatest hits. That Are you it. serious? So I was like, since I was a little boy, that's the only CD we had. I listened to it. Well, I saw constantly. a little. I, lo- I saw a little something on in- Instagram. I, clearly, he is one of your favorites because I caught you moonwalking on Instagram. Did you? <laughs> we should. Have, and it actually was a really. Hey, what is happening here to 
bet you just ha happened to be moonwalking. I think we were walking down to Facebook, and I was stoked that I met all the guys from Facebook. Ain't that cool? Uh, yeah, it was fun, man. Like, they're really, they're dope. I really had a good time that day. You were at Facebook? Yeah, what we went to Facebook. went to Facebook just because, um, I don't know, I'm starting to use social media more, and um, they're like... This Monday at 9.30 Eastern Standard Time. Okay, let me get to the next clip. Uh, since we have uh, such good ones, the wrestlers are doing their own podcast shows. Let's hear Piper and Chavo dealing with their wives. Was, was your dad ever a heel at one time? RJ always been. Uh, oh, he was heel for for yeah for sure. We're we're Guerreros. We're heels. We're better. We're better heels. Yeah. Unless we're born, we're born heels. Unless we're in like like a Hispanic community, we're heels. Right. We're Mexican. <laughs> All over the world, the rest of the world, we're we're heels. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Sorry, I mean, so I got you. So, but you know, like, did the this, rest of the kids. This is what it takes. Yeah, you know what? My my sister, even though she's only three years younger than me, she really lost out on having not having a dad there and she's definitely got um i can't say daddy issues and that's that's mm -hmm. she didn't have that but she has men and trust issues i see that and not saying anything bad no. i'm not bagging not no. ripping no, no, no. but definitely you know she's always worried about somebody's trying to take advantage of her and this and, that. and, yeah, I, yeah. and I see that and i didn't get that um but what it takes back to the women it, of of spouses of wrestlers, um, it for your kids to come out good, it takes that strong woman to be your mother and your father, and it really was. Yes. My mother, my wife, my mother for sure was my, was, was my mother and my father. But okay, he made good on his word, ladies and gentlemen. Let's bring back into the conversation WWE legend B. Brian Blair. Welcome back, Mr. Blair. How are you? Oh, yes, sir. I'm ready to talk to you there, JJ and Black Jack. My gosh, you got two people with a <laughs> You know, I All saw right. you do some uh, promotional stuff for the uh, Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, tell me uh, what, 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 uh, what happened uh, with that. I saw you in some pictures with uh, backstage there with I, the uh, Rays. I do so much different stuff, but we left off with the Sheik, and so I wanted to talk about that. That man, the Iron Sheik. Okay. Kazro uh, Vasuri, perhaps the only person in the entire wrestling world that I don't like. And oh, really? He obviously doesn't like me, and, you know, he's rambled on. He slapped the crap out of me one time. And, you know, I feel sorry for him sometimes. He got mad at me because I stretched him in uh, Hershey, Pennsylvania. You know, he was supposed to be the greatest amateur wrestler, and this is when he was healthy. And, um, you know, then he went on a two-year tirade, and he kept trying to get me on um, the Stern Show, the Howard Stern Show. And, you know, I just knew since being a politician that there would be some kind of setup or I could say the wrong thing and, you know, it wouldn't be good right. for me. But anyway... Um, you know, that was a big angle, a big talk of the thing in which he created his own self. I mean, just on the mere fact that he was angry with me over that. Um, I mean, he started it. I didn't mean to embarrass him. It was just all in fun, you know, he was wrestling, and he tapped out. And uh, so that really 
you know, the, I know that Nikolai Volkov jumped on his butt really bad about it. Some other people did, but, and, you know, he's had some bad personal luck, which I wouldn't wish on anybody. Um, Cosro has been breaking this business um, for just being who he is, the character he is. I remember him back on uh, when Vince started the uh, uh, vignette. Uh, what were those things called? It was before Piper's uh, Pit or uh, or those things. It was uh, when he would sit back and have a different guest, either Macho Man, myself, right. Osro, different people, and you know we do different things on his show. Uh, on Vince's show, I'm just for, for some reason I'm drawing a blank. I know the name of the show, and um, <laughs> um, you know, it's that Cosro on the show one time. I had the sheik on there with the camel, and I'll never forget Vince asked the sheik. He said, uh, uh, "Well, um, Iron Sheik, tell us what's the difference between the camels that have one hump and the camels that have two humps?" and Cosro, um, Sheik says to Vince, he goes, there's Mr. McMahon. Some camel has a one hump, and the other camel has a, a two hump. And that was his whole answer, and that's what he, that was the question. And, you know, he, just, he didn't know the answer, so he repeated the question. Classic. <laughs> what our politicians do want. That was a good impression, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Golly. That he made it to this age. I mean, he's nearly seventy years old, and uh, God knows what he put in his body. You know, we all we all saw on uh, YouTube uh, just a sample of what he wanted. But uh, are you surprised he made it with all the uh, stuff that was in his body? Yeah, you know, for I was on a plane one time, uh, you know. We were going to Australia, first tour at WWE, tour to Australia, and we were at JFK, and we came to take off, lights go out. Before that, junkyard dogs eating popcorn, talking away, glassy-eyed, Sheik standing right next to him. They can't get away from each other. She keeps the popcorn all the way through the um, security. Uh, now, going forward, take off from JFK, lights dim. All of a sudden, uh, Brunzi, I hear him start to snore, and I see Sheik and Volkov. I pretend like I'm starting to close my eyes. They, uh, one of them, Cosro uh, reached in and got this pipe, and um, then Junkyard Dog, God bless him, I love him so much, uh, reached in the popcorn bag and started feeling around for these little rocks, and pretty soon they were smoking crack, you know, on the airplane. And... Um, I couldn't believe that, you know, and Brunzi started really freaking out. And, you know, I just couldn't believe that they had the cojones to do that. That was bad. But then it turned out to be a great right. trip, fabulous trip. I mean, we went all over from Brisbane to Adelaide, We're just all over the place. And uh, <laughs> had a good time. Los Lobos and George Thorogood. Um, you know, that's uh, just another cheeky baby story. Yeah. There, there's all cheeky baby. His better half, the uh, Eric Sims, is a piece of work, too. What we call in the uh, wrestling business, Eric 
a piece of work. Sims. <laughs> oh, good old never. Yeah, I hear you guys. I hear you. So, um, how's your fan reaction? I need some more huh? Facebook. Tell your fans out there to Facebook friend me. Okay. Friend me uh, Facebook, Brian Blair in Tampa, Florida. The one with where the picture. There's I got. Uh, I have two. I have four Facebooks. I have uh, Wow. Brian Blair, um, and I have the Killer Bees, and I have Brian Blair the politician. And that's, a, that's the next gimmick I need to do because I'm the only elected county commissioner. I'm the only elected commissioner in the history of the wrestling business. Um, just like Jesse Have you Gray. tried getting on Twitter? Like, what's that? Have you tried getting on Twitter yet? Uh, I got Twitter. Oh, okay. You mean tweet that? What is Twitter? It's not something they talk behind the back doors with, with Vince and Urge. The powers to be, let's say, and uh, you know, I, I still have a lot in me, and I'd love to have one more run as you know, like either the politician, the bad guy manager, or uh, uh, you know, the uh, the commissioner, the only real elected commissioner, truly elected commissioner, not a not a politician, but, you know, you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Yes. So, all right, Blackjack. Head. So anyway, uh, you know, maybe I'll catch you guys up on. Uh, well, I know I can see you, Double uh, J, but uh, I'm, I'm. I'll tell you yes. what. I'm. Uh, any any last you know, question? About last that uh, cauliflower. I like uh, that thing that 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 event. That when is that coming up? It'll be April twelfth, thirteenth, and fourteenth. Of um, 2015, it'll be the 50th anniversary. I mean, it's the greatest event you could possibly ever go to uh, if you're a wrestling wow. fan. And um, just go to uh, CollarFlowerAlleyClub.net, and you'll see. Um, you know, you can join for 25 bucks. I mean, where else can you? You know, the guys have all you know killed themselves to. Uh, to entertain the fans, and you know, I I know that I would have never had what I had without the fans, and you know, I'm thank I thank God right now that I don't need a, a hand up, you know. But uh, there's a lot of guys out there that do, and guys that you know that just don't, you know, they don't want to be uh, embarrassed or whatever, you know. They don't want people to know that they've fallen on some difficult times. So, the Cauliflower Alley Club is actually giving away over $100,000 to these people. $2,000 wow. a whack. Because, you know, each one, you know, we help them out with up to $200,000. Okay, uh, I got one last question. Do you ever think uh, Cauliflower uh, Club will ever merge in with the uh, WWE Hall of Fame? Uh, it's a great question. They've already talked about that. Uh, prior to, you know, I'm going to have to really catch up with everything that's going on. So, yeah, Vince has talked about um, uh, to Carl Law. Wow, I just came home to a wonderful meal. And uh, my beautiful mm. wife, Tony, prepared me a, just a, oh, man, I tell you, steak. Oh, wow, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, for a long time I had spam and food stamps, and now I can come and look at this filet mignon. And 
I'm hungry. It sounds like you're with a rat. <laughs> What's that? You sound like you're with a rat. No, brother. No, 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 Put up with me for a long time, over 20 years. It, it, I have a ton over there, Brian, in the summertime over there where you are. Uh, how do you that? deal with the heat over there in Florida? How do you deal with all that heat in Florida? How do you deal with that cold in New York? <laughs> well, uh, be adept to, to it. I guess that, we, that, you got it. We just adapt to it. <laughs> are you a native of Floridian? No, actually, I was born in Gary, Indiana. Um, as a matter of oh, fact, my the, only, the only two white guys in, in, in Etna, where I was from, in Gary, Indiana, were me and Michael Jackson. <laughs> wow. So Gary, Indiana started, and then uh, uh, how, how, so how long have you been in Florida? In fifth grade, I moved to Florida. This what? So I guess I'm Fifth grade, where's that, 11? Okay. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful uh, area. You know, uh, you familiar with uh, um, uh, Dade City and uh, Hillsborough? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I was a countywide commissioner, but I'm not too familiar with that. <laughs> I, I, I can tell you. <laughs> there you go. Hillsborough County is 1,078.2 square miles, almost the size of Rhode Island, which is 1,221 square miles. Then Hillsborough County has 1.3 million population, over 600,000 registered voters, more than seven other states, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, Montana, Delaware. Um, you just, uh, and there's uh, two other ones or three, three other ones that I missed, but Hillsborough County uh, is, a, is a huge county where I dealt with a $4 billion budget and had to make decisions um, on taxes, rates, fees, and how we were going to actually run this county. So, you know, it's a, it's a big deal. When I was talking to President Bush, he said, you know, people don't realize the job that a county commissioner has in a large county. It's, it's extreme. I mean, you have to overlook the uh, sheriff's department budget. I mean, we've got 33 different departments that uh, you have to fund. I mean, it's a, it's a big job. And, you know, before that, my wife and I started Gold's Gyms in Tampa. We built uh, four of them. Um, so with business and, uh, you know, uh, sports, wrestling, and politics, you know, being kind of successful at all those it's, it's a humbling thing and I'm, I'm just grateful for uh, my fans that helped start it and for the people that voted for me and put me in office and for people like you that allow me to talk on their uh, blog stations and, uh, absolutely you know, I, I, I'm a very very grateful humble person and I, I, I help people whenever I can help them and I, I don't have anything bad if you've noticed to really say about anybody no no you're very humble, and uh, you don't get that too much with wrestlers these days, or ex-wrestlers. And I uh, just want to say it was a pleasure for uh, you to come on. 
here on Take George Radio, and uh, Most definitely. I hope everything. Brother Brian, it was definitely great talking to you again. Oh, absolutely. I can picture you right now. Thank you. I think you have the glove on before Michael Jackson. Uh, exactly. I started it with the Blackjacks. Mulligan and Lanza. I like it. The Lanza are getting Yes. Is, is, is Lanza still alive? Yes, he is. Well, God bless him. If you guys ever talk to him, please tell him to kill a beast and hello. Be Brian Blair. He may be the politician. He may be the politician. He may be the president of the CAC. He's the MC of the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. He's and don't forget, today is the anniversary of O.J., uh, the O.J. Uh, uh, chase. I think we were talking about that earlier. And yeah. uh, uh, oh, the prosecution so definitely pulled I put, but, you know, they, that's, another, <laughs> that's another topic for another day. When I do do the politics <laughs> stuff, I would like to have those on. Uh, when I have, uh, you know, my CNN legal guys, uh, you're more than welcome to come debate, uh, Mr. Blair. Well, I appreciate that, you know, and uh, you guys are awesome. And, and let me just leave it with one last little interview for you guys because, you see, I'm getting pumped up, and you got to realize something that B. Brian Blair has been from Maine to Spain. I've wrestled deep down in the Ukraine. Blackjack, Double J, let me tell you something today. You know, this morning I was on my way to Hazel's Honey Hut to pick up a quarter orange blossom special, and I had a little thought come to mind. And I saw, as I got to the top of this cliff, the shadow of the valley of death. And as I stared into that evil, I said to myself, good God, what should I do? And he said, Pretty up to Hazel's. So I got to Hazel's. I brought me a quarter orange blossom special, and I chugged it on down as quick as I could. And all of a sudden, my toes started tapping. My wings started flapping. And I was ready for some jaw jacking and for some back cracking. So my brothers, let me tell you good night, but you're not out of sight. Say your prayers. Think of the bee once in a while and know that I love you. Take care. Thank you. There you go. God very bless cool. Brian Blair. That's awesome. Okay. Very interesting. Thank you, Brian. And uh, don't forget, he has the Cauliflower Alley Club uh, situation. Check that out. Go visit him on Facebook. Uh, and uh, don't you dare uh, miss Brian Blair. Uh, and, uh, Brian, thanks for a few minutes, and uh, definitely enjoyed that. Okay. uh did want to also uh, touch on uh, another uh, great cut I had. I was started with the Piper, but back to Bully Ray uh, in this awesome interview, I chopped the pieces. And uh, here is one where Bully Ray talked about being injured at the hands of, you guessed it, first Jericho. Let's listen and talk That's on the other great. side. So how did you get a concussion, Baba? <laughs> Well, Chris, <laughs> the reason I don't remember certain stories as the one you just told of the red wine is mm -hmm. if you were a better athlete and you were a better worker. Are you, you talking to me or are you saying this no, just talking, in general? No, I'm talking to your producer over there. I'm talking to you. <laughs> Nick, to damn it, you screwed up again. <laughs> 2005 in the uh, 
Thomas and Mack Center. Yeah, in Las in, Vegas. In Vegas. We're doing TLC whatever. It was a spin the wheel uh, Raw night. Roulette. Raw Roulette. Raw yeah. Roulette. And one of the spots we were going to do is you were going to give me the bulldog off the top of the ladder. Right. And because you're not really good. <laughs> okay. I, I, I spiked your head into the... You spiked my head into the mat, and it's the worst concussion of my life. Yeah, it was it was bad, man. And I remember uh, there was so much like TLCs. They're so uh, involved, and it's 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 like a big chain where one. It's the one type of match where you basically have to call the majority of it in the back. Everything, you know, everything because there's so many moving parts and elements. And the chain at that point was you were. Uh, I gave you the bulldog, and then you were down for a bit, and some other stuff happened, and then eventually you were supposed to start walking up. Uh, climbing up the ladder with, I can't remember if it was Rob or, or whoever it was. So I'm looking at you, and I'm like, Baba. You're like, and you're just out in space, just lost. Like, you're like, huh? you got to climb the ladder. And your greatest response was, how do you climb a ladder? <laughs> yep. And I was like, just put one foot on the <laughs> bottom rung and put another foot on top of it. And you're just like, you just blank eyed stare. And you're like, okay. And off you went to climb the ladder and just moving on instinct basically at this point. And the other two things that happened, and you actually told me this, a couple of the other guys told me was you told me to go take the Van, te- Van Daminator. Yeah. And I said, from who? Right. Yeah. yeah exactly. I had no idea who yeah. did a Van Daminator. And then you told me to uh, go up and do the Bubba Bomb. And I said, how? That's right. Yeah. Didn't even know how to do my own move. I- but the crazy part about it is when I go back and watch that TLC today, Watching you tell me everything and then executing it the way we did, mm-hmm. it's, it's crazy how you go on autopilot. Yeah. And, dude, my brains were destroyed yeah, you were messed that up, night. Man. Destroyed to the part where, point where wound up going to – told Vince to F off that night. Yeah. Remember, they couldn't get me in the hot, in the, into the yes. ambulance. Yes. So I wound up telling Vince and Hunter to, you know, go F themselves. And I got to the hospital, and here's how crazy this concussion was. Dreamer and Spike come to the hospital with me, mm-hmm. and we're in the we're in I guess the waiting room. And I said to Tommy, I go, Tommy, where's my mom and yes. dad? And he looked at me like real weird, and he goes, Well, your dad is back home in Long Island, and your mom passed away, you know, mm-hmm. like last year. And I started crying like a baby mm. because you know it was like the first time I was hearing my mom had passed away. Yeah. Well, about five minutes later, I looked at Tommy and said, Tommy, where's my mom and dad? Yeah. They told me that about 50 to 60 times I asked the same question about my mom and dad, and I had the same response every single time. And the funny part about this whole thing about my mom passing away is that you were my mom's favorite wrestler. Yeah, I remember you told me that. She would always be like, Mark, is Chris going to be there tonight? And I'm like, Mom, of all the wrestlers out there, you like him? (laughs) (laughs) That guy? Well, here's something else, though, dude, is that... Uh, in the dressing room afterwards, you were sitting in the trainer's room, and you asked the same question because we were all in there. And you asked me, "Where's my mom?" And I didn't want to say. I said, uh, "She's, you know, she'll be here later, or whatever. Just don't worry about your mom right now." Because you just legitimately thought, "Well, my mom's, my mom's going to be here." Like, and it's really scary when someone gets that type of con- of a concussion, where it's it's real. Like, oh, she's coming. So, like, I'm talking. Like, right. there's no way you really think that, but you do. And I remember Vince was kind of mulling around. I was like, Vince, you get your ass in there, and you say thank you to every single guy because everybody's dead. I mean, you were hurt, and Spike was hurt. And I remember I fell right off the damn ladder and hit the stairs, and we were all messed up. And as you get in there and shake everybody, I was so, like, not mad at him, but just like he was just wandering, like, get in there and, and, and give your respects to the guys that just, you know, threw down for you like that. The first, that, the first 
TLCs went so perfectly and were so good that I thought at that point they started taking the TLCs for granted. Yes. Like, these guys can pull this off, no problem. Let's just write it into a Raw show. Yeah. Well, you know, and no, I don't think, and you know, unless you've been involved in it, you don't know how not only physically grueling the matches, but mentally. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it's probably mentally the most challenging match ever because not only do you have to remember everything you're going to do, you need to know everything yeah. that everybody else is going to do because if they screw up or something happens, like That's right. me getting the concussion, you have to walk your, you know, you, you know, your fellow you know, wrestler yeah. through everything because if one domino goes down in that match, Everything goes down, and that's and that's the reason why. I mean, you know, we were laughing about you getting the concussion, and, and things happen, and it, you know, you feel bad about it. But it's like, listen, we got to keep going. So thankfully, I did know what you yep. were supposed to do, as I'm sure you knew what my spots were in case to to run through it. You know, and those, I think too. I'll take I'll you guys for sure, but take a little credit, and it was the guys involved in those matches why they were always so damn good. Oh, absolutely. Because it was the same. You know, it started with Hardys, Dudleys, and uh, Edge and Christian. But then maybe Hardys were out and it was Dudleys and Edge and Christian, or maybe it was Dudleys. But it was like kind of a, a revolving door where as long as there was a couple of you guys in there and, you know, some other guys that had some mindset, you could continue the ball rolling, you know? The first time they threw other guys in was TLC3. We always talk about, we laugh about the forgotten TLC, the one in Anaheim. Anaheim. It was TLC3 where you and Benoit That's right. were involved. And that was the night after Hunter tore his quad, so they had to rewrite the whole show. And this is back in the days when they used to write the show a week in advance. So they had to throw that together last minute. I remember we landed in Anaheim, and they said, you guys have a TLC tonight. Go straight to either end and start working on it. Yep. We're like, what? On, on well, J.J., what did you think of uh, Bully Ray and uh, Chris Jericho going over old times and injuries? Oh, my God. This, I I have to go on the WWE Network and see if I can't find that match. And i got to watch it again. I mean, that was – I remember seeing that match, but I, I didn't know it was to that degree that Bully got, you know, concussed that bad that he didn't even know how you to execute. You know what match you're talking about? Yeah. You know what match you're talking about? Oh, wow. Yeah, there was a – like you said, it was a TLC match, and it wasn't at a pay-per-view. I believe, uh, as he said, it was maybe during a Monday Night Raw. And because, you know, they, they did so many great TLC matches in the past, I think uh, the WWE felt like, oh, we can just throw one together on Raw, and it'll be great, and there's no trouble. But, you know, like I said, this isn't ballet. Accidents happen. You just kind of have to plan and to go and then adapt to the situation. And Chris Jericho, thank God, you know, he knew what Bully was supposed to do. I say Bully because, you know, that's what he is now in TNA. But back then when he was Bubba Ray Dudley, you know, he had to guide Bubba through the match. He had to know his spots and know what he had to do. He had to know that, you know, he had to do his move to, you know, so-and-so and that he had to take the Van Daminator. And then he asked, well, who who does the Van Daminator? You know, he was so gone. He just didn't think, oh, you know, Rob Van Dam. He probably didn't even know who Rob Van Dam was. He was, you know, so out of it. That's why people uh, take concussions. So yeah, I mean, so many people take concussions so serious today because, I mean, the, the, to hear that story, I mean, I know they were laughing and joking because, I mean, hearing it, I mean, it is kind of funny that, you know, he was just so out of it and all the things that are so typical. I mean, of course, he should know this, should know that, but that's the effect that a concussion does to your brain. It exactly. I've you. seen the... Uh, been right next to ringside taking photographs, and I've seen wrestlers uh, get unconscious during the match, and they still are just working, working with their bodies, 
not even working mentally. I've seen the Sandman, uh, Rob Van Dam, other wrestlers such as uh, even Devon, uh, the, the Sandman. I've seen him fall off the, uh, the ladder and get up and didn't remember where he was at. So these things do happen, and they used to get so hit with the cheers. How about the Same time when thing. you got hit with the cheer, King? I mean, you didn't remember stuff for like a week when you, you was a special oh referee. My God. Wow. That's right. Yeah, so when you take any type of uh, shot towards the head, you're dealing with something serious. It might not uh, uh, develop the, the next day or something like that, but concussions are, is a serious thing. Yeah, definitely. I was scared to death if that was a concussion uh, when Mr. Saturn hit me with it, and I was uh, green, as, uh, green as the green giant, and uh, the plan was for me to block it, and uh, boom, I did not block it. Um, I was a teenager, and uh, uh, I was in the hospital, pain med, everything. It was horrible. It was horrible. I was scared. Oh, what a horrible feeling for the first time, too. Let me tell yeah. you. Uh, hearing him that his eyes were glazed, he didn't really know what he was at, and the fact that, you know, when you're a wrestler, at least, you know, they have some sort of instinct. You know, he was on some sort of autopilot. Even he didn't even know how to climb a ladder. I mean, that's that's frightening. That you know, one foot in front of the other. I mean, how how difficult is it to climb? But that's how bad it, is. it messes you up. You know, big time. It really scrambles your brain. Oh, it it most certainly does. It most certainly does. And uh, wow, Holy Ray. Uh, it's so great to listen to. Uh, uh, here is, I think, the last part of uh, Holy Ray and Jericho. We have a great Dio story, actually. Right. You probably have more than me, but yeah, I, I have right. one cool Dio story. Um, so uh, uh, Kiss Alive 2 and, you know, always knew I wanted to be uh, involved in rock and roll because I just I just love it so much. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, actually, funny story, I remember when Fozzie first started, you were playing in, I don't remember the town you were in, this is like 10 years ago, you were playing in Kansas City or something. Yeah. And uh, I came to the show, and a bunch of other guys came to the show, and you uh, you played Livewire, because, you, you know, I don't know if you had it in your set, but you played it anyway. You played it I'm, sometimes, you played it for you. Yeah, so yeah. I'm a huge crew fan, so you guys played Livewire, and you invited me up, you're like, hey, Bubba, you want to come sing this with me? I was like, yeah, this will be great. So I was so amped to sing live wire with you. I you know, I'm about to, you know, you know, sing it and I take the microphone, I raise it up to my mouth and I did it so hard that I pop myself in the mouth with the <laughs> microphone and I chip my teeth. Yeah. <laughs> that happens all the time, man. Sometimes if you stand on the mic stand that pops back in your face, I get bloody lips, chipped teeth, the whole thing. What's the deal story? Is it the one we went in Phoenix or what what happened? Yeah, in Phoenix, I'll never forget after uh after um, we, we, it was me and you, and actually Hunter and Stephanie were That's there right. also, and it was Dio, Maiden, and Motorhead the night before SummerSlam, like in 2003 or four in Phoenix. Correct, and we had we had um, uh, tickets. We, we were standing in the photographer's pit, yeah, so right on the stage. You could not get any closer. You yeah, know, any closer, we would have been on the stage. So we go and. We go and, you know, uh, Motorhead op- opens up. So after Motorhead was done, we went backstage to hang out with a couple of the guys because Phil Campbell, yeah. right? He was a big fan yeah. and blah, blah, blah. And Lemmy's been involved with yeah. Hunter for years. Sure. So we're hanging out. And my first story is just remembering us being in Lemmy's dressing room. And Lemmy has a white towel wrapped around his head like a turban, <laughs> takes off his shirt, takes off his pants. And there's Lemmy 
standing in his tidy whiteies <laughs> while we're there just trying to have normal conversation. Like, yeah, Chris, that was uh, that was really cool when they played Killed by Death. He's in his underwear. Yeah. I mean, he's in his underwear. So, uh, and then right before Dio went out, I don't know if you remember this, Dio came up to us and he's like, Chris, Bubba, how are you? Thank you for coming to the show. Can I get you a glass of red wine? Yes. And I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> yeah. Ronnie James Dio, all four foot ten of them, yeah. just asked us if we'd like a glass of red wine. Like he was the most hospitable. Super nice guy. Nice yeah, yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, the, who is the keyboard player? <laughs> the guy's name was Scott Warren. Yeah. yeah. He comes up to me and you. I don't even remember, know if you remember. He goes, hey, guys, my daughter is a really big fan. You know, can I please get some autographs of my daughter? And me and you were like, no problem, whatever you need. You know, we signed the autographs. And then he turns around and he goes, hey, do you guys want my autograph? <laughs> and he was serious. As <laughs> serious as the day is long. And we were like, uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you want to make him feel bad. But then beyond that, I went to take a picture with Ronnie, with, with Dio, and I had the wine that he gave me. And when I put my arm around him, my hand tilted, and I spilled red wine Christ, on him. Remember? Spilled. Actually, no, I don't remember. You know why I don't remember? Why? Because in 2005 in Las Vegas, I got a really, really bad concussion. So I don't remember things like that, which is a perfect segue into, gee, Bubba, how'd you get that concussion? <laughs> Let me finish the story. I poured red wine on Dio, and then he's like, "Oh," and I'm like, "Oh, I'm so sorry, Dio." He's like, "Ah, it's no problem, no problem." And he's like, "He's like, he's okay with it." But I'm like, "Oh, I'm, I'm so happy. I thought you were gonna put a curse on me." He goes, "How do you know I won't?" And he made the sign of the devil, and, like the, the Italian, like the Maloit. Yeah, the Maloit. Well, I uh, had uh, Brother Diva nine years ago. I wish I would have had Bully Ray, and Blackjack, uh, of course, got me uh, Diva. But JJ, what'd you think of? Uh, Holy Ray, isn't he great to listen to in his stories? Oh, my God, that that was a great story, talking about uh, Dio, you know, some great songs like Holy Diva, Heaven or Hell, and, you know, he was talking about, you know, singing Live Wire with Jericho, and I remember, you know, over 10 years ago seeing a Fozzie concert, and, uh, you know, a lot of the guys would always go to the, you know, the guy, the wrestlers would occasionally come up to Jericho's shows. I remember I got to meet uh, Edge. I got to see the Hurricane. I mean, that was kind of cool. Oh, really? I was actually standing. Yeah, I was actually, you know, I'm just, you know, listening to Jericho. I think he was even playing uh, Live Wire. It was uh, from his first album in 2000. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, the hurricane just kind of stormed through the, the crowd. I think, who the hell is this, you know, this kind of like short guy, but, you know, he's, you know, swole, you know, compared to me, because I think I was still maybe a teenager over, you know, 10, 12 years ago. And uh, he just kind of went straight to the, the front of the stage, and he went up, and he was, you know, singing uh, TNT with Jericho. And then I kind of looked to my left, and I see this tall some bitch, and it was Edge and at the time uh, Edge had just br uh, broke his neck, so I don't know if, if he was uh, if he made his debut on Raw yet or not, and yet he was still at the show. So I remember seeing Edge; he was, he was huge. He was such a you know, tall, big, unbelievable, and uh, it was just a cool moment. I mean, I was literally standing next to the guy, and I just said, "Hey, man, welcome back," because you know he was gone for almost a year with his uh, broken neck. But uh, really cool time. But uh, like. Uh, you know, Bully said, Bully's got some funny stories, man. You could listen to him all day long. Yeah. Yes, he does. He certainly does. <laughs> Blackjack, your thoughts. One of, the, one of my greatest friends 
in the business. Uh, I'm proud of him to know the man today. Knew him since the start, and he's been amazing ever since. And as I said, he'll be getting getting that world title shortly. And uh, I, I thought what was going to happen was I thought uh, Devon was going to come in and shake everything up. And I, you know, I knew he was coming in, but uh, I thought he was going to come in and, and try to uh, be with this MVP guy and take the title. That's what what route I would have taken as far as that goes. But it didn't happen. So then again, you know, there was uh, some time yet to see what happens. With uh, Devon and and Bubba, I mean the saga with them two is still never ending. Either they may team up together, or or they could possibly be at odds with one another. Yeah. Don't know. And still, they still got another chapter to uh, uh, live in the WWE. I can't wait for that to go down. Yeah, definitely. Well, I can uh, see. Possibly Bully Ray taking on Devon at Bound for Glory. I mean, Devon just came back at Slammiversary. Maybe now they're friends, they're partnered up. But uh, Bound for Glory is still months away. Could you imagine Bully Ray versus Devon, and they're both going into the Hall of Fame, and they have this big epic clash at TNA's uh, final pay-per-view of the year. I mean, they're both got the 23 uh, tag titles uh, amongst them. Uh, Bubba has got the world title. And uh, I think uh, Devon's going to try to get himself a a title somewhere down the line. You've also got a situation where you'll probably wind up having the Dudleys and the WWE in the Hall of Fame one day. Uh, And that would make them the first. The first and last, maybe, to be uh, in that Hall of Fame. Um, because, uh, well, Kurt Angle is in it, and you could see actually Kurt Angle uh, being in the Hall of Fame. Uh, so we shall see as far as uh, that is concerned. But, uh, okay, uh, another. Uh, story is going on is about the Seth Rollins situation. Uh, Is Seth Rollins the next big thing in the WWE? Let's take a listen and talk. So yeah, they broke up the hottest act in the company. They pulled the trigger. Uh, One of the most memorable closing angles in Raw history. Not the best or anything like that, but it was shocking. People are still talking about it. It's not even a week later. It got a lot of people talking, which is probably what they wanted. It was unpredictable, which isn't something you can say about much in wrestling these days, thanks to the Internet and thanks to bad booking. Uh, But this wasn't bad. It it was sad, but it wasn't bad. People definitely did not want to see it. You could actually hear a fan scream no (laughs) just before Rollins whacked Reigns with the chair. Actually, I could do an even better impression of what the guy sounded like. He pretty much sounded like this. No! Like Reigns was about to take a bullet... Like, if the guy could, he would, he would jump in front of that chair, you know, like, like one of the Secret Service agents protecting the president or something. Uh, but that, hey, the guy said out loud exactly what I was thinking when I watched it. You know, I, I'm still in mourning over this whole thing. I wouldn't have done it. Myself would not have done it. I would not have turned the shield against each other. I would not have broken them up. I still think there's money 
in keeping those guys together for a little while longer. But they did it, and it was a hot angle. The only thing that would have made it better and left more of a lasting impact was Jim Ross on commentary. When, when somebody would turn and do something dastardly like this back in the day, nobody sold it better than JR. And I thought the announcers did a poor job on this. It just was too subdued, and it just it didn't have the same impact. And the announcing can play such an important role in, in remembering an angle like this or, or just selling how big of a deal and how much of an asshole this guy really is for what he did. So I thought it was lacking. J- that was one of those moments that JR would have been perfect still being in the announce booth. Um, what made the Shield so great now, I guess, as we look back and we reflect on the last 18 months of these guys together on the main roster, what differentiated them from so many other groups is that there was no clear, distinct leader. You know, they were all equals. It was usually Rollins or Reigns. You know, Ambrose was kind of the loose cannon, but he had a, his time to shine, too, on occasion. Sometimes during promos, he would kind of dominate and take that leadership role. With the horsemen, it was always you know Ric Flair. It was never a question of who the head guy, who the leader of the four horsemen was. Through all the different incarnations of the horsemen, the one constant was Ric Flair. He was the guy. With the Freebirds, it was Michael Hayes. With the NWO, it was Hulk Hogan. With DX, it was Shawn Michaels. And then when he went away, it was Triple H. He took over the leadership role. With the Hart Foundation, it was Bret Hart. With the Ministry, it was The Undertaker. Evolution, again, it was Hunter. With the Shield, all three guys were on equal footing. And each made the other one better. Between that and, and the run that they had, I know this, you know, again, it was only 18 months, but by today's standards, that's like five years. <laughs> the fact that they kept these guys together for that long before breaking them up. As well as they were booked, almost always in main events, elevating everybody else's game that they worked with, never having a bad match, getting over as baby faces after their heel run came to an end. In my opinion, the Shield's going to go down as one of the greatest groups of all time, bar none. Easily, easily one of the greatest factions of all time. When I say one of the greatest, I'm talking like, I can't say number one, I won't, I won't say number one, but top three. All time. Their wars with the Wyatts, their wars with Evolution, their battles with Brian, their battles with Punk, working with The Undertaker at a time when Undertaker doesn't do much other than his once annual WrestleMania match. Okay, and he actually worked a six-man tag on Raw and a singles match on SmackDown against Dean Ambrose. When was the last time you saw Undertaker work a match on SmackDown? Veteran guys wanted to work with these guys because they were that good. The Outlaws at WrestleMania this year, right? So it's a sad day that these guys are no more. Uh, as for an explanation for why, for this to make sense, Mitch on Twitter had maybe the best answer. He said the simple answer is the Shield were mercenaries for hire. Rollins took a job, and I guess saw the other two as being weak. I see people thinking, or, or maybe it's more like hoping that this is some giant swerve. The problem with this being a double swerve, or, or Rollins being a secret agent, is that it makes no sense. These guys, the Shield and Evolution, they beat the crap out of each other. Two straight pay-per-views, not to mention all the Raws and the SmackDowns in between that built up the pay-per-views. Okay, Rollins dove off a balcony at Extreme Rules onto those guys. Triple H and Randy Orton, he dove off the Titantron onto them at Payback. I think it was Rollins, he ate a pedigree on a steel chair on the stage last Sunday. 
Him turning doesn't make much sense as it is, but at least you could argue, okay, Triple H promised him a title shot. He promised him a bunch of money. He was tired of being overlooked as the architect of the shield. Reigns is the muscle. He's looked at as the chosen one. He feels he gets no respect. You could at least rationalize it, and that may be what they end up doing. But if after all that, plus the beatdown on Ambrose and Reigns on Monday night, if Rollins really is still in cahoots with them and he joined Evolution to destroy Evolution from within, what is there to destroy? They've beaten them on two straight pay-per-views. Batista quit in the first segment of the show, so Evolution was down to two guys. I mean, what are they infiltrating exactly? The COO? I mean, what, are they going to oust him from power somehow? You know, when the old Stone Cold came back, remember that whole angle? He came back to lead Team WWF against the the Alliance, and then he turned on them at the Invasion pay-per-view. That actually made sense. Vince begged Austin to come back and save his company from the invaders. Austin did, but, but not really. He just suckered McMahon so he could cost them that big main event at the pay-per-view and then lead the charge against the WWF. What big match is brewing between Evolution and The Shield that Rollins needs to infiltrate? Now, if this happened, let's say, between Extreme Rules and Payback, that actually would kind of make sense. You know, but again, they've already fought twice. Believe me, I, I would love nothing more than for this to somehow all make sense, and in two months, The Shield is back together, you know, and each guy starts branching off on their own as singles, but they kind of maintain their partnership, they maintain their friendship, because the real money is in these guys as singles in the future. Okay, I know that. But I would love for it to be a ruse. It's just too far-fetched for me. Now, that said... Let's talk about Seth Rollins here for a second. This is a big opportunity for Seth Rollins. And I am looking forward to seeing how serious they really are about pushing him as a heel. He was always, up until recently, he was always looked at as the odd man out because Ambrose, oh, Ambrose is this crazy, loose cannon, Brian Pillman, Roddy Piper hybrid. He's going to be just fine. And Reigns is big and he looks good and he's got big muscles and he's being positioned as the next top guy to replace John Cena. And that may all be true. But then Rollins kind of got the shaft. Like, oh, he's a good bumper, he's a good wrestler, he's a good hand. But, you know, of all, of all three, in a lot of people's eyes, Rollins was the one guy who maybe he wouldn't be a world champion or maybe he wouldn't get over the way the other two did. And I think the last few months, the way that they've let him shine, he's proved a lot of people wrong. He's changed people's opinions on that. So now he's the one who gets the first shot to branch out on his own in a serious role as a singles guy, as a heel. I still think his future is as a babyface. He had the best babyface comeback in all of WWE. Brian used to, but Rollins had it now, and now that's gone. I'm not saying he can't be a good heel. He can certainly, you know, he can bump around for people, which you have to do when you're a bad guy. But they're putting him in evolution, if he is in evolution. We're just assuming he is. Maybe he took whatever Triple H offered him just to break away and beat the crap out of his friends. But are they aligning him with Hunter and Orton because they see him as the next big thing? You know, that's the question. All three members of the Shield could be world champions at some point. You know, are we going to see Brian versus Rollins? I mean, sign me up. That'd be a hell of a match. Rollins could probably give John Cena some of the best matches of his career, but I don't want to see Rollins and Cena. That's the problem with being a heel in WWE. At some point, they all crash into the brick wall called John Cena. And as we've seen before with everybody, pretty much except Daniel Bryan, 
so far. There's no going through that wall when you hit it. So I'm very curious how they handle this. The key is in the follow-up. I saw the Rollins stuff on SmackDown. He came out with Triple H. He cut a promo, but he didn't reveal why he turned. It was kind of a cop-out answer. Maybe they're saving it for, for Monday night because that's the A show. Uh, he had a match with Dolph Ziggler that was actually pretty damn good. And they gave Ziggler a lot more, I will say, in that match than I thought they would. But in the end, Rollins got the win, curb stomp, got the pin. They didn't do much more than that. But the key is in the follow-up. Do they see this guy as the next big thing, and are they going to push him like that? And he, is he going to get the rub from rubbing shoulders with Triple H and Randy Orton? Or is he just going to be a lackey and play second fiddle to Triple H? Are they going to make him you know, cut his hair and, and put him in a suit so he looks just like every other you know, guy on the roster when they turn heel? Like The key is how they handle it. You know, give the guy his own distinct identity. I have no problem if, if they want to keep him in, in his shield gear for a while. You know, eventually he'll have to transition over to, like, normal tights, but let him stay in the flak jacket. Let him wear the gloves. Let him keep, you know, one half of his head blonde and the other half brown. Let him, let him maintain his own identity, but don't make it where he's just Triple H's lapdog. Because the minute you do that, the guy's dead. Okay, JJ, uh, I'll tell you, he made some interesting points. What's your take? Well, it's very interesting that he talked about his gear, and I know that may sound silly to a lot of people, but your look is pretty much everything. And they're very careful not to change his look too much. You know, he mentioned, you know, he turned on the shield, was it a week, two weeks ago, and yet he's still wearing that sort of black, you know, field gear and cargo pants and his little vest, and he hasn't really changed his attire yet because I think they're afraid if they put him in something ridiculous stupid at all, that will hurt him, and that's the last thing they want to do right now. They're being very careful with his uh, presentation and how he looks. Same thing with Roman Reigns and the same thing with Dean Ambrose. I mean, as far as we know, I don't know if you know, there's a two-man shield or if they're still tag partners right now. They're sort of together, but yet they may eventually split. Uh, if you watched uh, Raw this week, Dean Ambrose came out to a new uh, theme song. He didn't have his sort of black shield gear. He had blue jeans on. He had a, a little, you know, he did have a black vest on, but it wasn't that sort of, you know, shield, you know, cargo, you know, bulletproof vest uh, gear. So it seems they're slowly trying to change it, but yet not alter it too much so that they don't, you know, frighten the fans and that they might think, like, oh, this guy looks dumb. I'm not going to get behind him now. They're being very careful. And I know, like I said, it may sound silly, but look is everything. And if, you don't, if you're not believable at first glance, then they might as well just bury him now. But he brought out some excellent points. Seth Rollins, uh, a really great talent. When you look at the Shield, all three guys really were, at one point or another, pretty much the leader of Shield. I mean, there wasn't really a clear cut, you know, as he talked about, with D-Generation X, with the NWO, with Evolution, with the Ministry, the Corporation. There was always that one standout guy who was the voice and the face of that faction. With S.H.I.E.L.D., the first year, you thought it was Dean Ambrose. He pretty much took control during promos and interviews, and he did a lot of the talking for the S.H.I.E.L.D. Then uh, late last year, you saw Roman Reigns kind of step up, and he was the guy who was winning matches and pinning superstars and he had the, the sole survivor at Survivor Series. He threw the most eliminations in Royal Rumble history. I mean, he was being sort of groomed as this next big breakout star. 
and yet the last few months when they sort of teased a shield split a few months ago back, I believe, in March, and they had Seth Rollins sort of walk away, and, you know, Ambrose and Reigns like, what the hell, you walked away from us? They kind of punched each other around, and then they said that, you know, that made us tighter, where, you know, not going to split and all this stuff, and then it felt like Seth really took charge, and they kept referring to him as the architect of the Shield, and he was putting some tremendous matches uh, with the Shield, and I remember matches last year that were five-star matches, matches he had with Daniel Bryan, CM Punk, and he did wrestle John Cena, believe it or not, and of course Cena did win, but he did have a great match with Cena, and I assume when Bryan does come back, and if Bryan regains the title, I could immediately think Rollins would be one of the first guys he works with, and that would be amazing to see. Seth Rollins, uh, Daniel Bryan, you're talking about two uh, Ring of Honor guys, too. Two Ring of Honor guys who really made it to do tremendous things in the WWE. And, you know, uh, it's just been really amazing seeing this change. And I don't think in this day and age, as they pointed out with the Internet and spoilers and, you know, everyone, you know, you know being on the end and knowing what's going to happen, Rollins joining Evolution or Triple H and the Authority, that really was a surprise. I didn't expect Seth Rollins. I thought maybe Dean Ambrose because he's such a natural heel. Even Blackjack thought maybe Roman Reigns was being groomed for that next position. And yet they swerved all of us. And it was Seth Rollins, the guy that we all sort of forgot about. So now is really the time for him to step up because, you know, they do have a lack of heels. They have, you know, who's really the top heel in the WWE right now. What, Randy Orton? People are already kind of tired of him. Alberto Del Rio? Yes. Again, people are, are tired of him. They need somebody to stand Amen. out. And, uh, you know, they have Bray Wyatt, but that's only one guy. You need well, just, uh, just like that, the, the, the world champion, they need a lot of standout stars altogether. I mean, there's exactly. not a standout uh, champion right now. And that's the thing. You know, with Daniel Bryan gone... They don't really have anyone to really take that spot. Who besides John Cena, who's of course the top babyface in the company? This is where they need to bring back people like Brock Lesnar, mm-hmm. Undertaker. You really can't. They need to try to uh, force back uh, a Sting to come back, but he can't because of, uh, of the contractual contractual type of a situation there. Mm-hmm. Uh, CM Punk, he's got to get his head together. Um, there ain't really many two people, too many people out there. Exactly. So I mean, yeah, they're in the what? Best kept secret is the guy that I was playing. TNA is so lucky to have the best wrestler today, and I'm talking about Bully Ray, Brother Ray, whatever you want to call him. Oh yeah, he but he, the best you can't talk about talented. him for the coming to this organization like for at least a year. So you can forget that. No, he yes, he he has no plans on coming back to the WWE. He said it. He, that's his words, uh, but they all say that. But uh, if that company was to go uh, under. I mean, uh, we are celebrating his ninth year in TNA. Believe it or not, that's right. In uh, June of nineteen, uh, excuse me, in June of two thousand and five, uh, the the Dudleys were going to change their name to the Deadlies. And that got scratched off. And, uh, yeah, they've been in there ever since. And I'll tell you, Bully Ray, when he becomes a free agent, 
could and will and should demand a lot of money on the open market, whether it's the TNA, WWE, Japan, whatever the case may be, Bully Ray is right now, right now, I mean, just at this moment, is my favorite wrestler. You know, a lot of guys are injured. You know, it's funny because he's got the mic skills, he's got the look, he's got the work rate, he's got everything. Uh, what's your thought, JJ? Yeah, I mean, I can't argue with that. Bully Ray has really done a tremendous uh, transformation. I think you even played the, the clip uh, last week when he was talking about going from being sort of recognized as a tag team with Devon as the Dudleys as Team 3D, and then to really take that shift and to you know, reimagine himself and to become Bully Ray, and he lost a lot of weight. He trained harder. He's got a, a more you know, physical physique. He's stronger. He's more lean. And uh, he really came up with this awesome character, Bully Ray, you know, being a bully and just being a loudmouth that, uh, you know, and whether he's a heel or a face, he just does a tremendous job to get you to hate him when he was in Aces and Eights, or right now he seems to be a face and he's got the fans behind him. He's challenging, you know, Dixie Carter. Everybody wants him to powerbomb her through a table. I mean, everybody's behind Bully Ray. It doesn't matter what he does. I mean, he's, right now he really is just sort of striking gold. And, you know, God forbid if anything happens with TNA and he does become that free agent, you know, a lot of the independents would love to pay top dollar to half Bully Ray, with, uh, especially this incarnation of Bully Ray. The only downside, if you were to go to WWE, is whether or not they would allow him to be that sort of Bully Ray character they may just want him to be Bubba Ray and to have him team with Devon. And while there's nothing I wrong with that, job. there's nothing wrong with that nostalgia act. And you know the tag division in WWE desperately needs you know something. I would much rather see Bully Ray in a WWE ring than Bubba Ray. As great as either either way, he's great. But Bully Ray right now is on fire. He's really got a handle of this situation and this character. And like you said, he's really one of the top guys in wrestling. And unfortunately, the WWE, they kind of lack those top guys. They only rely on John Cena, but they can't rely on John Cena forever. They need to start making new stars. In TNA, they're very fortunate. They have this guy, Bully, and they have some other stars that they're trying to establish. But... Uh, you know, Bully Ray right now, I, I really can't see any other guy being you know, where he is at that level. He really is one of the top guys in wrestling today. That's that's just a fact. No doubt about it. Blackjack, how do you feel about that? I mean, as I said before, look for Bully Ray to be get to get, to get that title. He's the only man that we can even talk about at this present time. So, what else can you say? I definitely would love to see Bully get that title again. I think he would have a, a tremendous run, either as a face or a heel. He would do uh, great things. For as the I NFL. said, they need to do it next week at the in uh, at the Manhattan Center. That would be great. Yeah, he could. So, oh my God, the guy would go ballistic if that ever happened. So uh, we'll uh, we'll definitely be on top of that. And uh, I do want to play one last clip with Piper talking about a uh, backstage brawl with uh, big, sexy Kevin Nash. 
Um, as soon as I find it, I will uh, put it on. But I uh, do want to remind uh, everybody that uh, next week, 9.30 uh, East, 6.30 West, 8.30 Central, will be the Michael Jackson Tribute Show. Well, you'll hear from uh, the nurse, Dr. Nurse Lee, his former bodyguard, Kerry Anderson, Mr. Tom Mesereau, and uh, Geraldine Hughes, uh, the book writer. Here is a, a little clip of uh, what you will hear on the tribute show next week. Exactly. See where it pays off is, is beautiful. But, um, what about the, the performances of the Grammys? It was the Lady Gaga's and then Pink doing her Cirque du Soleil and the Michael Jackson tribute. My favorite moment was the Michael Jackson tribute. Have you seen yourself yet during that? I, I, they just told me they had a shot of me. There's, during the tribute, there's a, a, like the camera goes to you and it almost looked like you were praying. Like you, you were like spiritually connected to those kids on the stage and, and, and also during the song. I don't know if you guys remember Beyonce and she was like, yeah. and I was like, wow, what was going through your, your head? Because it almost looked like it was a spiritual out of body. Kind well, of I definitely. Catch it next, uh, this coming Monday. Okay, Rowdy Rowdy Piper backstage fight with Evan Nash. Let's take a listen. It's a good you one. You know, uh. Kevin Nash and I got into it. Really? Oh, yeah. Uh, and he lies, too. I got, jeez, I don't know where to go just because I wanted to talk about a gym. But um, I'll keep on this one for a second. So uh, somebody's been telling me this story, and, and I don't know. I'll just tell the truth. I was in the ring someplace. I think maybe I was in it. I don't know what I was in. Maybe a tag team or something, Nash Hall, and maybe X-Pac. And uh, maybe Flair and right myself maybe and somebody else. Anyway, bottom line is like they're trying to they're trying to this is something people don't talk about much. This is backstage politics. They're trying to uh, run rough shot. And so rough I shot. Yeah, they are. Um, they're trying to over uh, in front of the establishment's face. Their decisions count more because they feel they know better what's needed for the business than the establishment that actually owns that business at that time. So they were running rough shot on the people that own the business. And uh, so I came, we had like a horrible match. It's because the guy didn't know how to work. I didn't know how to wrestle. You know, good basketball player maybe, but I don't know. He didn't make a living there either. So, uh, I mean, I come to my dressing room, like I'm really pissed off. But I, I'm maybe 15 feet from the door. Flair's in there and Bischoff's in there. I'm just kind of getting my feet up on a bench, taking my laces out. And all of a sudden, the whole door comes kicked in. And he's standing in the door, him Nash. And he says, well, you think you're running things around here? And I, and I stopped. Like, nobody had an answer for him. So I got up, charged him, laid died him, and threw him out of my dressing room. <laughs> and then, just a second, so, because he said somebody just not too long ago said, yeah, I punched Piper. My ass. Uh, and so, wait, let me tell you the rest of it, because it's kind of significant. So, all of a sudden, you know, hordes of people on, and they're taking Nash down the hall, 
And I'm standing there, but like, <laughs> I'm standing there with two guys, Barb and Haku, who I raised, the human vigilantics. And Nash is being taken away, and he's pointing to me because the next time I'm fighting him is in a pay-per-view called Moline. He goes, Moline, I'll see you in Moline. So a day or two passes, and there's this guy named Brad Reagan, who's a very uh, well-schooled shooter. And he's being told the story, and he says, wait a second, what did Nash say? He says, I'll see you in Moline. He says, Nash didn't want to fight. <laughs> Why wait for Moline? <laughs> now, that's a God's true story. And then what he said later was, he said, yeah, he went after my bad knee. Well, like, that's not true because I didn't know his knee was bad, but if I had known, I would have. <laughs> but it was back like that all the time. It was, uh, it was difficult. It was very difficult. Wow. Uh, some interesting words from uh, Hot Rod and Roddy Piper from the WCW days. Yeah, I mean, uh, any anyone who remembers WCW heard stories of, you know, the inmates running the asylum, you know, and the guys always kind of looking after themselves, putting themselves over, and, of course, those backstage politics, backstage brawls, and uh, that, unfortunately, was a big part of a lot of things that happened during that time, and you know, it's unfortunate he'll stories like that and Piper Piper's Piper. He doesn't, you know, take no garbage and you know, he's been in the business no. there than uh, so no. yeah. So I mean, uh, it was uh, it's an interesting story and uh, like I said, Piper <laughs> he's a he's a hell of a guy, so you know, he doesn't take nothing from nobody, he doesn't care who you are, so it's uh like I said, that's just kinda of stuff you learn about, uh stories you hear. It's that's just the way it was, man. Uh, no question. Blackjack, uh, you heard about that fight. Uh, what's your thought? Yeah, they got all kinds of nights like that with these wrestlers, and uh, the way they um, talk about this stuff, it's almost like writing a, a book, and you could just see a, a movie out of all this stuff. If, if there was enough people that were interested in this kind of thing, you know, but it happens to a lot of wrestlers, not just Piper. I mean, the Flares, the On Andersons, the Sids, the Sabus, uh, people like that. They they could all write books. Even uh, Steve Austin can write a, an in-depth book about the things that goes on behind in the dressing room. Stuff with Abdullah the Butcher, Doctor D, uh, Doctor D. Um, um, you remember Doctor D? He was another David one off Schultz? the wall. David Schultz, you're talking about? Yeah. yeah. Oh, he could yeah. have one hell of a oh. good... Just sitting down talking to these people, if, if they wrote a book, it would be amazing to some people. To some people, they wouldn't get. They wouldn't give a shit about it, you know? But it's amazing that what goes on behind the scenes. I've been for a lot of it myself, and it's totally unbelievable. You're, you're not to say that, and I tell you, JG, uh, I don't know about you, but I miss Nitro and Raw and uh, when the NWO was starting and those good old days you could never get back. Because yeah, that's where they got that network. You get that network and you can watch all that stuff. All right, but let me, let me try, try to tell you a second. Uh, they, each company was trying to beat the other company, Bischoff. Going for it every week, putting out his best, best talent. Vince McMahon going for it, bringing out Tyson, 
bringing a Austin vs. Tyson to at least teasing it. And then it took 83 weeks until Nitro took a loss to Monday Night Raw. And I remember that date. And, J.J., what is your thought about that one? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the whole Monday Night War was just something that I don't think you could ever replicate. And, you know, with Vince McMahon, who was, you know, king of the castle in wrestling, and Ted Turner coming in and bringing Eric Bischoff to mold and create WCW and to go head-to-head and to even beat Vince McMahon and the WWE during the, you know, the Monday Night Wars, it was just, uh, it was tremendous. You know, Bischoff, you know, would say it's not personal, it's business. You know, and controversy creates cash, and, you know, it didn't matter what he did, if he had to play dirty, if he had to steal talent, if he had to reveal the spoilers of the show, he would do whatever it take to make sure people were watching Nitro and not Raw. And at the same time, Vince had to do everything he could to make sure to give people a reason, something to talk about. You know, Monday Night Raw, he brought in, you know, the Mike Tysons. He had D-Generation X doing the most, you know, outlandish, ridiculous things on, on television every week. Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, cussing and flipping the finger and, you know, going after Vince and doing amazing things with, you know, the beer trucks, the men trucks and, you know, Zambonis and stuff that you can't even believe that, you know, they did. And, you know, just to get, just to be number one, and uh, it was uh, an um unbelievable time and uh, I'll never forget the, the time that really changed was when Bischoff and was it Tony Schiavone revealed that Foley would be winning the WWF championship and the minute they revealed that the people changed the channel because they wanted to see it and that was you know a big change for the WWE and then I remember the highest rating which got maybe 8 million viewers was when Foley did uh, This Is Your, Your Life with The Rock and it was the most talked about, most watched segment in the history of uh, Monday Night Raw. Eight million people, I think it was an 8.4, were watching that segment. And this was before, you know, Twitter and Facebook. People were calling each other saying, you have got to see this. And people watching Monday Night Raw, and it basically was the end of WCW, and they could never get that viewership back. I mean, it was just uh, an unbelievable, exciting time where anything could happen at any moment. Yes, yes. And uh, one of the worst arts there was the Cruiserweights. Uh, Rey Mysterio and Dean Malenko and Jericho and all those guys. The Dragons. And uh, what did did you think of the Cruiserweights? Uh, division, JJ and WCW. Personally, I loved it. Yeah, I mean, exactly. You look at TNA. Why is you know why do people talk about TNA because of their X division? What is the X division other than just another way of describing WCW's cruiserweight division? Just guys who are smaller, not the biggest, but they are the fastest, the most athletic, agile, high flyers, quick paced wrestling. I mean, you know, guys, you know, like uh, you mentioned, but Mysterio, Guerrero, Jericho, Malenko, Benoit, so many guys with just phenomenal psychosis, uh, right. you know, to La Parca, I mean, so many guys. I'm sure I'm forgetting. Huh? Billy Kidman were just tremendous cruiserweights who were so much fun and exciting and could do something that the heavyweights like Hulk Hogan and Kevin Nash couldn't do. They were doing some unbelievable things that you just never saw before it was it was really one of the highlights of uh, wcw 
yes, and Blackjack, what did you think of it? I remember when we met that uh, manager of the uh, uh, the Japanese man. Uh, it doesn't come to my mind the name of him. Uh, Mr. But, Masatoro? Uh, Yes, I think so. Yes, uh, I, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. But uh, that was a, a good time. And uh, they were had, uh, like, Goldberg in the bar and uh, <laughs> Scott Hall. And people actually taking pictures and charging people. And, oh, my God, it was fun, 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 fun. Yeah. And uh that was before the cell phone group. days though. That's true. I can't too. believe that yesterday would would have been uh, Ultimate Warriors fifty first fifty fifth birthday. JJ, your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, uh it's just unbelievable. I mean, we've said it many times, we spoke about it uh the day after he passed when we did that special tribute show. I mean it's just uh, sad when, you know, someone you've watched for so many years is, uh, even we pointed out with Blackjack, you know, you've you grown attached to these guys. These guys become a part of your family. You watch them every week. You, you're, you know, you, you develop sort of an unspoken relationship with them. You have a connection towards them. And, you know, when, when one of them goes, you know, you feel it personally like it's your best friend, like it's a family member. And it's just, you know, it's very sad. You know, a lot of people, they got mixed feelings about Warrior, and, you know, that's their prerogative. But there's a lot of people, too, even more so, that were fans of that guy and have some great memories of him. And, you know, anyone that saw him during the Hall of Fame and saw him with his family, I mean, your heart's got to go out with them. We maybe have lost, you know, a very memorable character and a great uh, entertainer, but, you know, they lost a husband and a father, and that's something you can never get back. Well, I check your thoughts. I, I remember having uh, many meals with that man, and uh, it, it was uh, nice to hang out with him and see him outside of uh, being the, the warrior. Real nice guy. A lot of people got yes. different on, on different things and how they were treated, but I got treated pretty good by him. And JJ, it was great that uh, he uh, actually made peace with uh, everybody. And the reason, of course, if you're just tuning in, I'm talking about Warriors because yesterday was his birthday. Uh, would have been his 55th birthday. Uh, it was amazing that he left on such a positive note when he had all this built-up hatred towards the Hogan's and Hall and the Scott and Hall and Nash and and Jake the Snake and whatnot, your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, uh, he had a, a clear conscience. I, I, I forgot who we had that was a guest on King Jordan Radio, and they even said, you know, Warrior was a guy who was always, you know, fired up, very passionate, and, you know, he always spoke from the heart. And, you know, he was deeply hurt by a lot of these guys. He was deeply hurt by the WWE when they released those DVDs and for the WWE and Vince to, you know, to make it up to him, to tell the right story, as he put it, and to, you know, highlight his career and to, you know, showcase, you know, the good times and the great memories that, that he had and the fun matches he had with superstars like Rick Rude and Randy Savage and Hogan 
and you know to really put a accentuate that to be re, to be remembered like that, not to be remembered as you know the ultimate destruction and all this and that garbage. But they really went backwards to make amends, and I think it really put a tremendous weight off his uh, shoulders, especially a lot of the the lock guys in the locker room. You know, he had heat with and said a lot of things too, and they said a lot of things to him. And you know, to put all that you know behind them. I think that was uh, it was really good that he got that off his chest and he could put that behind him and just to have that clear conscience and just, you know, to feel like a new man, so to speak, and to, to feel that weight gone. I think that's, you know, I, I can't really say of a better way to go out than just to go out, you know, on top. Yes, absolutely, and no question, and uh, the fans uh, need to know that there's a new magazine WWE just put out, 30 Years of WrestleMania, uh, with big names on the cover, Macho Man, Daniel Bryan, um, Andre, you know, this is off the top of my head, but uh, some cool posters, The Rock, uh, they, uh, go, they highlight the best parts of each WrestleMania, uh, I was just browsing it, but I will pick it up the next time I do see it. It's an awesome magazine. Uh, I remember Daniel Bryan is right next to Macho Man on the cover. It's a really uh, beautiful magazine, and uh, I don't know JJ if you're still into magazines, but if you get if you ever get a chance to see that one, uh, that's a real keeper. You know. Oh, definitely. I mean, I remember, you know, as a teenager, I used to always collect whenever they did something special like that, like a WrestleMania special edition, something that, you know, you don't get every month or every week or whatever, but yeah, special like that where they highlight, you know, those guys and go over the, the history of WrestleMania and the superstars' history. That's definitely something I, I would pick up, and uh, I, I think I'll definitely check it out, see if it's still available. Yes, and of course, Blackjack, you remember those programs, of WrestleMania where there was like maybe only a couple sheets and back then they would charge maybe $10 for it and uh, this is like late 80s early 90s and yeah my like pit used to be on those suckers <laughs> absolutely so the programs at the garden were $5 and $5 back then is like $20 now I remember they used to be two thousand nineteen seventy six. Well, I I wouldn't know that. I wasn't in, in, in the world, but they did have that sheet, uh, like the in the old school house shows, where they would have the matches in the nineties. They had yeah, uh, who was wrestling? I don't know, JJ. Did you ever go to a house show? No. I went to a WCW house show. I, I went to a, some WWE house shows. I saw, you know, Brett and Owen, and I saw Jeff Jarrett wrestle. I, you know, I saw Yoko wow. Luna. And remember those programs, you know. You, you get maybe like the, the – if you were, went to the WWE show, you maybe got the WWE magazine of the month, but then inside the, that particular issue, they did have a sheet of the lineup of uh, – what the card was that night. Yeah, but the, the sad thing is, how much of those things are, are those programmed today? Oh, They're wow. not really yeah. worth much, not much, are they? Yeah, probably not. Well, I mean, I to who? You know, I'm sure the WrestleMania 6 program signs is definitely worth money. 
on eBay. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, you think so? You know, absolutely. You get you get a Hulk Hogan Ultimate Warrior signed magazine, especially since the Warrior's dead. And then yeah. if Hulk Hulk Hogan dies, oh my God. Now, just strictly hypothetical. JJ, can you imagine the coverage? Strictly hypothetical. In no way, I hope the Hulk Hogan lives to 110. But in a strictly hypothetical situation, could you imagine the mass media with Hulk Hogan dying? Oh, my God. I mean, yeah, like you said, hypothetically speaking, I mean, Hulk Hogan, one of the biggest names, if not the biggest name in wrestling for the last, I don't know, what, 30 years, uh, if not longer. I mean, the things he did in, you know, Hollywood, the things, you know, TV shows, movies, commercials, and reality shows with his own family, and, of course, wrestling. I mean, wrestling is what started it all for his career. But, uh, I mean, oh, my God, that would that would be, you would hear it everywhere. It wouldn't just be on the Internet and websites. It would be on your local news. You would see it on talk shows, morning shows, daytime shows, late-night shows. CNN. Yeah, even news shows would uh, cover it. And then they would all cover Hulk Hogan, you know, God forbid, anything. I think you know, that <clears throat> might even be the, the lead story in, if, you know, but unless there was really something going on, uh, Hulk Hogan does would definitely make the cover of the Daily News because uh, of all his contributions to the world. Uh, he was not just uh, uh, an icon here in America. He was an international icon. They loved him all over, Japan, uh, Australia, you name it, Canada. Hulk Hogan, uh, you got to say he's the biggest name in wrestling. Not, maybe not the best talented, but certainly the biggest name to ever uh, step foot in a in a wrestling ring. You would agree, JJ? Absolutely. There's uh, no question of the success, the really worldwide, you know, global success that Hulk Hogan and Hulkamania has had just uh, on pop culture. I mean, it's uh, it really has become, you know, a phenomenon. And still to this day, he's still big. You know, when he went to TNA, he got some coverage. When he came back to the WWE, he got even more coverage. Everybody was talking about his return in WrestleMania 30. And I then mean, when he went to that hotel room, he got more coverage. Oh, yeah, that's, that's true as well. Everybody was talking about that incident as well. Absolutely. Okay, folks, don't forget this Monday is the tribute. We'll leave you with a Michael Jackson song. But first, thank you to uh, J.J. He did a wonderful job, as usual. Thank you to Mr. Brian Blair. And uh, Brian Blair had some great stories. And uh, thank you, Black Jack Brown. Most definitely. King, I'll look look you up next week in New York City. Uh, TNA shows are going down those three nights. Hopefully you'll be able to come out to one of them, possibly even Dominic. Uh, I wish J.J. can come as well, but he's in Chicago. But uh, yeah. always that invitation is still open, brother. Thanks, Blackjack, man. You guys are awesome. Uh, this awesome show, great people, man. Thanks for just letting me be a part of it, man. Thanks, guys. Okay, uh, we will uh, – no pay-per-views this week, right? No pay-per-views this week. That would be the following Sunday, Money in the Bank. 
Okay. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, we will speak to you, if not this week, definitely Monday for the Michael Jackson tribute. With that in mind, here's a Michael Jackson's new song, Love Never Felt So Good. Take care, everybody. This is King Jordan Radio. Find me on Facebook.com or King Jordan Radio.